0: Hello, everybody. I'm Alexa. How many ounces are in a pound? What you're about to hear is an episode recorded in early March about events that range as far back as last August. I considered calling it a bust given how many teething problems it had and how generally late it is, but given the current circumstances, two and a half hours of recounted actual play, convention and convention-like experiences didn't seem like the worst thing to release for people struggling with not being able to go outside except to die for the economy and or yell at the government about racism. This was also Alex's last episode on the podcast before he was tragically killed in a freak editing procrastination accident. As per his wishes, I will be taking over his place in the Bards, along with his editing responsibilities, his social media accounts, his current projects, his bank account, his national insurance number, his postal address, and his place on the electoral roll. It's what he would have wanted. It seems weird to say, given how incredibly infrequent updates are, but after this, House of Bars is going to take a little break. Beth has a different podcast project she wants to try, and you'll be seeing a little of that sometime soon, hopefully, and for my part, I'm writing a tabletop RPG. Playtesting is a frequent fact of life right now while it's in its nascent stages, and I can't really shoulder editing on top of that. House of Bards isn't gone forever – we'll do an episode on my project at some point at the very least, and there's still other stuff to talk about – But for the moment, expect more in the way of Game of Bards streams and side projects than any more episodes of this show. If you'd like to know more about my project, search the hashtag TrackDogsRPG, all one word, on Twitter. Thank you for listening, and enjoy two and a half hours of chat about QCon and Critter Castle from long ago. Love ya!
1: It's not my fault! It's not my fault! I didn't suck any dicks! Hi everyone, welcome back! Wow, sure is sure is empty in here. Boy howdy, look at all the cobwebs. Welcome back to House of Bards, ostensibly a podcast about role-playing games and the narrative power there within, and the friends we make along the way. But it, it's it's actually more about the Scooby-Doo direct-to-video. Um, no, no, no!
0: Shut up! Shut up! Stop talking! <laughs> we'll have no more of that. <laughs> Absolutely not. So this is this is a uh, this is just we're going we're going to do a, a sort of actual play convention tournament roundup thing, mm-hmm.
1: right? Yeah, and for those of uh, you who don't know, maybe you're listening to us on the first time. Maybe this has popped up.
0: Uh, if you are if you are doing that, don't start with this don't episode. Don't start with it's this give episode. You completely the wrong idea about uh, what this podcast is about.
1: But um um uh for those of you who don't know i am beth uh oh yeah we did not uh, say uh, our Alex. names it's been a while we're out of it we're out. It. it's been a while it's been a while
0: mm. uh and 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 we have we are we are not alone we have with us uh a, a guest uh, i bet you can't guess who it is
2: it's me it's maxie it's always maxie at this
0: point it's not it's not always maxie <laughs> we have had one other guest ever on the podcast (laughs) so we're we're gonna do a uh uh, this is like the qcon episodes but the qcon that i'm going to be talking about happened at at the end of last august um so it's not just going to be about that it's also going to be about the critter castle events i think just just the most recent one is that right because there's been more than one, and I know that the two of you have gone to more than one, I, but I think...
1: We call it Critter Castle. This is specifically about number two and three. Probably a little bit less about two, because it was a while ago now. It was, like, last um, August? Yes, because it was my birthday while I was there, so last August. Um, okay.
0: Do we do we want to do, like, a um, an explanation uh, that the two of you can do to me? Because I did not go to this... What is Critter Castle for the uninitiated?
1: I would say it's not a meet up, but it's not a convention. It's somewhere in between. <laughs> there are more people than there would be at a meet up, and it lasts longer than a meet up. But also, you don't generally all stay in dorms with each other. In um, conventions. I don't know how one would describe. But also during conventions, you are normally responsible for feeding yourself. Uh, the um, uh, what are they called? I don't want. To, it's not English heritage, is it? Who runs the youth hostels in this country? The, it's it's very predictably the Youth Hostel Association. Uh, they often make breakfast for you if you stay their youth hostels. They they do like your full English breakfast, so it's
2: very nice. It's a good time. Well, how I would define Critic Castle is, um, about 50 nerds, um, who are fans of the, uh, famous show Critical Role, um, decide to rent out, like, whole scale um youth hostels, which were like originally manor houses and um and castles and stuff like that for on site photography and we like we dress up in cosplay, we play D and D. Um it's mostly critical role themed. Um but like I know that some other cosplaying has been happening, like a uh, Joe dressed up as a uh, Link from Legend of Zelda. Yes, I remember someone. I
1: for her name escapes me, but she dressed up as Howl from Howl's Moving Castle as well. I remember that one.
2: Yeah, so basically, um, just fifty nerds chilling out in a stall, um, having a good time for the course of about three days, um, looking out for one another. Cosplaying, playing D anD D, and then we all go home to wherever we come from in the UK or outside of the UK because we've got a few people who are like from France and um I can't remember where Irene's from. I think it's Portugal.
0: So that's that's what Critic Castle is. Mm. So um yeah, I I definitely see the way that you're saying that it's 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 more tight knit than a convention, mm. but it's larger and more comprehensive than a meetup. Yeah. I'm sure there is. I mean you could maybe say that it was a mini con but in my experience mini conventions still have convention energy just on a smaller scale yeah, whereas like, this appears to be a bit more a bit like, more like a like a giant structured sleepover.
1: Yeah. You know what it's like? It's it's mm. the it's the it's the year 11 ski trip. It's it's the it's the trip
0: it definitely sounded like when when the two of you described it before it definitely sounded like it had the the same sort of energy as like um uh, like um yeah like i mean i didn't go on the year 11 ski trip i went on the sixth form diving trip uh in egypt oh um which was fucking great, because we terrified our parents, given that the uh, the Arab Spring had just happened, and also that tourist had just been eaten by a shark mm. in Shah el sheik which was where we were going.
2: Oh, wow. My dad thought I died on my 11 uh, ski trip. <laughs> <laughs> just putting that out there. No, he genuinely thought I died. He got a call from the school and everything. I did not go on the
1: Earl ski trip because I didn't want to pay 120 quid to be miserable for three days, surrounded by a bunch of people I hate, in a cold climate, doing a sport that I am not skilled at. So I elected to stay at school for those three days. And you know what? It was really nice. Do you know why? Because it was fuck all anyone there. It was just you and it was just the kids who didn't want to go and the kids who were too poor to go. We all had a nice time. It was good. The class sizes were really small and... You know what? A school is better than fun, actually.
0: <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed the diving trip, but I did also, like, get very violently sick on, like, the, the day that we were going to go back. And I was, like, constantly rushing to vomit on the plane, so that was fun. Mm.
2: So, yeah, so Critical um, Castle is definitely similar to that. But also, like, um, although a schedule of uh, things that are going to be done throughout the day and like when lunches and dinners going to be had is drawn up before we go, so that people are aware what's going to happen. Um, there's less of a, um, a teacher enforced uh, you must take part in this thing or else like vibe to the whole thing.
0: Yeah, right. Because you're you're adults and you're doing yeah. you're doing stuff because you want to do it.
2: Yeah, if people like just want to like take a moment to rest up for a while because they're just like uh, it's like a number of us like are disabled and like have access needs and things like that, and they just um, need time to themselves. And so, um, I would be really really upset if that wasn't allowed, but thankfully it is. <laughs> I I spent pretty much of the most recent one. I had
1: a really bad migraine on the Saturday. Um. I just spent basically all of Saturday until the banquet, like, asleep. And then I uh, awoke, um, cleaned myself, did my makeup and went to the banquet. And I was like, I feel good, actually. I feel I feel nice because I've been allowed to sleep all day. And I know for a fact if that had been a school trip... Are we just ragging on school trips right now? Anyway, if that had been a school trip, I'd have been dragged outside at the crack of dawn in the fucking freezing cold. It's true. Surrounded by people I hate. And then at around noon, they'd have sent me to bed and I'd have slept for the rest of the day.
0: I mean, it definitely does actually sound like a group of adults, like, collectively doing a school trip yeah. together, we, but, like, only the fun bits. Yeah, we, we went, more hey, flexibility. hey, what if
1: we all did a school trip, but it was nice, <laughs> and we had
0: It fun. sounds rad, actually. Like, I, I, I have elected not to involve myself here because I'm not that big a fan of Critical Role. I've always attributed my, like, falling off the wagon to not having a second monitor anymore because I, like, I can't listen to Critical Role. Mm. I have to be able to see it at all times <laughs> if I need to because, like, mainly because there's, like, stuff like I um, I can't uh, tell Sam and Liam's voices apart, for instance, and there's too many players, so I'd, like, get confused about what's happening, as opposed to Taz, where I can just, like, listen to four people with very distinctive voices and largely follow along with what's going on. Mm. Um But also, like, I'm fucking poor, and and there's not really any, like, means by which I could actually get to this stuff, especially if not if I'm doing QCon as well. So let's do a hard cut then. I guess I'm going to talk about QCon first, because the two of you said you didn't want to to start. Yeah. Um, So this was a while back at this point, but it wasn't as a while back as QCon would normally be. Uh, QCon was very late in the year in 2019, and... I think that was for a number of reasons, uh, one of which would be that it, how to put this, the Students' Union at Queen's Belfast is being torn down now, as As we're recording this. It might actually have just been finished like a week or so ago, but it was condemned for a while. The building had asbestos in it, uh, there's a lot of like um, consternation amongst the student body uh, as to exactly how much of a problem that was and how B- basically a lot of people very cynically view it as like a power grab by the university to replace the union with something that has less collective agency which given that Queen's is a very neoliberal institution is entirely possible honestly Um they're, they're not like, there are red brick re- universities that are way worse for this kind of like vaguely auto- authoritarian thinking than Queen's is but Queen's itself is like not winning any prizes for like encouraging student freedom. There's also like weird things where, obviously, unlike a lot of other universities, it's subject to some stricter laws regarding things like um, student speech and um, student research, because it's in Northern Ireland, where the terror laws are significantly stronger than in other parts of the UK. Um, They're not as strong as sometimes the lecturers would have us believe. Uh, I remember having a couple of lecturers who very much enjoyed pretending that the staff body had uh, complete and total access to uh, and the ability to at any time read any emails that you sent from your uh, student email account to determine the level of professionalism. that that you were doing. And if you are doing uh, computer science or aerospace engineering at Queen's, they absolutely cannot do that. Uh, They can only hand over your emails to be opened by the police if you are determined to have been involved in terrorist activity. But they'll lie to you about it! (laughs) I had like a whole... That was my like axe to grind as a student. I went all the way to the top on that one. I did like a survey and everything and found out that it was specifically those two um, like subjects where you would be told that that was the case. Uh, So anyway, yes, um, because of that, because the union was off limits, that meant that um, there were venue concerns that year uh, as to, like, how exactly everything was going to be fitted in. Uh, For tabletop stuff, that didn't actually matter that much because the South Dining Hall, uh, I guess... This is weird. We weren't in that this time, uh, which is odd. You'd think they'd, they'd keep people the same because... That's where it's, it had always been. Uh, but I think Ali, who, uh, has run RPGs at QCon for as long as I can remember, wanted it not to be there because it was difficult to find. Um, so I actually don't, don't really know why she would have resisted it that time when because there was no centralized venue, everything would be difficult to find. And so it would be like, eh, whatever. Uh, but we, we were in the, um, the temporary new, uh, Union instead. We were, like, somewhere uh, high in that building, I'm pretty sure. I think? No. No, we weren't. Where were we? We're... No, yes, yeah, sorry. We were in the, the Peter Froggart building. That's right, isn't it, Maxie? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, which is in the, like, the the main... Um... If you look up Queens on Google Images and you'll see this, like, big uh, red brick edifice, uh, It's it's in that but the building that it is does not look like that. um uh, but but it was fine because it was like okay this is a decently big building we have access to um and it's reasonably easy to find stuff especially if you're looking for it at the ground floor. um and you know the, there was also like quite a lot of foot traffic into there anyway because I'm pretty sure that's where John Mar- John Romero was. um that that was uh, wild for me to find out by the way that John John Romero just lives in Galway now and comes like does the con circuit in Ireland. but you know that's cool. Mm. So yeah, we were up there, and I ran D and D fifth edition. And at the end, at the end uh, of when everyone was gone and it was all packed up and whatever, I messaged Ali and I said, "This is the last time that I'm going to run D and D fifth edition at QCon. I'm probably going to go back to QCon, especially since uh, a mutual friend has like seemingly undertaken." some significant trouble to to get there from Portugal despite despite our admonitions that it is really just like a local tier convention it only has the reputation it does because Northern Ireland is not very populous and not very fun um so like I feel like at least one of us should should try and be there to meet her um, I, I know that you were looking into that, Beth, but, but you had uh, troubles, but I presume that Maxie is going.
2: I should be, yeah.
0: Um, but if I go... Like, I, I'm gonna GM, right? Here's, here's the thing. I I love QCon. I really do, and I really enjoy helping out there. I, I think I've got Soppy like this at the end of one of these, these roundups, but it, it's really actually quite important to me that it's this... <sighs> I think the thing that, that separates it from something like a Critter Castle, right, is that if you go to a Critter Castle, you are by and large all going to be fans of either this specific D&D show or tabletop gaming in general. And the thing about uh, a larger convention like UConn is that you can have people come for something else. Because it's in the middle of the city, so it's it's reasonably accessible. And like there's loads of other stuff going on. And people can just come and they can try out D&D or, like, uh, some other game like that. And I'm not going to run 5th edition anymore, even though I'm, I'm going to keep GMing at QCon um, if I can, for two reasons. First of all, it's fucking killing me. Genuinely, I get really ill uh, just from, like, the amount of prep work that I have to put into whatever weird, grandiose idea I've come up with at that time. So I'm not. I'm not gonna. You you all remember the the fifty fucking character sheets meme because it's only like three episodes back because mm, mm, we've mm, uh, we've mm. not made like. Um, what I did this time is simultaneously not as bad and worse. <laughs> right, I didn't. I didn't do lots of character sheets, although I did do quite a few. Um, but I did do like uh, we'll we'll get into that because it's it's going to be the meat of what, what I say. The second reason is that I don't think, given given the way the lay of the land is now, I don't think it is responsible of me to introduce people to the hobby through D&D anymore. Because that's easy to do, right? Because people have fucking heard of D&D. They know what it's it's like. But we're at a position now where Dungeons & Dragons is... It's all-encompassing, right? And I've, I've, I've said, I've said before that I have ethical implication, uh, ethical like qualms about uh, supporting it publicly, not sufficiently so that I would stop running it entirely for my own fun or stop occasionally running it in public for other people's benefit, but enough that, for instance, I'm just going to pirate the source books. But I feel like I've been introduced to like a lot of other different games, and I just feel that a lot of those games would be easier for me to run so that I don't kill myself trying to 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 get this uh, this sorted out ahead of time. And also just a better introduction to what tabletop role-playing can be like. Because that's the other thing, is that I think before it was easy to... Um, e- even as, as our audiences were increasing like, like this, it was easy to say that a lot of people who came wanting to try D&D had absolutely no uh, experience of tabletop role-playing. And now I think so many people watch Critical Role and listen to the Adventure Zone and stuff like Acquisitions Incorporated and whatever. People know how to play DD. It's not, you don't have to find a group or a convention or something to learn how to play d from actual play. Like it's not, mm. that isn't a problem. So I I I want I want to expose people to other different games. So my plan for this year is, if I have a beta ready, which I might or might not do, I will run Track Dogs, my uh, Apocalypse World, uh, no, powered by the Apocalypse game. If not, uh, I will pick something else to run. It could be Call of Cthulhu. It could be Traveller. It could be powered by the Apocalypse game of some sort. Um, it could be one of the games that we've, like, played uh, on a game of Bards, for instance, or something like that. It could be, you know, just just something. Hmm. Hell, I might even run Roll for Shoes, which is uh, fun in its own way. And also, like, it probably won't end up being a big interconnected thing like I do for DD, which means that I don't have to run the same thing all three times. You know, that's fun. It's just... So the thing about D&D is if you want to do something, like, large and well-constructed and interesting, you have to plan ahead for it meticulously. Uh, Even 5th edition, which is generally, like, allows more in the the realm of, like, Vega stuff, is still compared to uh, a Powered by the Apocalypse game or another, like, story game thing. Ridiculously complicated Mm. for this. To the point where, what I have sitting in front of me are props that I used in this game. So do you do you want me to talk about about what happened in the in these games? Because there were three of them.
1: Yes, please. Yeah, by all means, go ahead.
0: So I scaled back to to three games. Did I do, did I do that last time? What was the the me, the meme is fifty fucking character sheets, but I've actually completely forgotten what I did the year before. Um.
1: Wasn't it oh five yeah, games?
0: it was it was arcade Blanchard and the time time what's it and it had to be five games because the concept didn't work in fewer than four and it would feel unsatisfying otherwise. No, this was just three, right? Um, I wasn't I wasn't going to do four or five. I still I I still got my entrance fee refunded because uh, you get that if you if you'd got three, but I didn't go in for like the the t-shirt or anything like that because i valued my health more than that and thank fuck honestly because if i had to find another way of of uh, another thing to do with with the concept that i had it would not have been great so let me just find my notes here i also have the props in front of me um so this is co- this was called welcome to junama and uh, Jinama is a part of my setting that hasn't really shown up in a campaign yet. I think it might be about to in the the main Dawn Sombra campaign that the two of you are in, um, just because it's probably going to be one of the areas that you visit in your attempt to fight kaiju and save the world. But an in-depth um, exploration of the country is probably not on. On the cards for the moment um janama is fantasy India sort of hmm. I mean, it's not it's not quite that it's not supposed to be exactly like a one-to-one cognate um there are there are a lot of things that I think somebody trying to make fantasy India would put in janama that I either didn't put in because I was unaware of them or because I think they suck ass actually um, a cast system is one of them not not a not a fan of that personally not in, not into it um but I had just finished the concept for Junama and I wanted this QCon group to be the first people to experience it. And I've been I've been working with Maxi to like um, sort of lay out exactly how Junama works. Uh, so big thank you both to her and to her friends who are more knowledgeable than her on India in general and uh, Indian culture and um, other stuff like that.
2: Yeah, I also have to, like, defer to my friends mm-hmm. <laughs> in this matter. Uh, thanks, guys, if you're listening.
0: Um, the other quality, I guess, that was in Welcome to Junama, which was not immediately obvious to uh, to the players, was it involved the Illithids. Because, you know, it's a tournament scenario. I want it to have some flash and some, some pizzazz and the illithids are an easy way to achieve that uh i i think i said on the previous uh podcast that the way i treat illithids is they're basically daleks and boy that was really i was really like phoning it in uh on on that here um do you want me to read the box text for instance uh this is What I submitted to Ali to put on the posters, uh, I think she cut it down a little bit, so this won't be like exactly what it said, but um, more or less, this is what a player looking at what games there were to play would have seen. It says, For millennia, the jungled nation of Junama and the city of Sirakpa within it has enjoyed peace and prosperity, supported by its triadic social structure sharing power equally between humans, minotaurs, and the elephantine Kaima. But what will happen when Sirakpur gets some unexpected visitors? Note: This game is part of a series. Attendees need not be the same each time, but the results of each session will affect which of two resultant scenarios is played in the next. Additionally, pre-made character sheets will be provided. Players are not permitted to bring their own. So we've talked before about um, character sheets, right? Yeah. Fifty fucking character yeah. sheets, and I've said, yeah. I, I said. Yeah, I said last time that, um, one of the reasons why 50 fucking character sheets happened is A, because I couldn't count, uh, and B, because I don't like. Say I have like a maximum of six players at my table, I want to make eight character sheets so that the last player who comes to the table still has a choice of three. I didn't do that for this game because, uh, the pre made character sheets were, you were obligated to, to use them, right? Because the the way that the party was structured was actually a thing that couldn't just be left up to chance. So it's like, you can't bring your own character. um, You've got to be one of these characters. And it's like, it it kind of hurt to do that, but it was also like, just the way that the concept is working here, it has to be like this. So this was the first scenario and it's called The Arrival. And you play cops, basically. You play members of the Seracpa City Guard. And one of the concepts that we came up with very early on was that uh, humans, minotaurs and Kaima are all like, how to put this, the sanctity of their lives are sacred to one another, which means that, for instance, um, it is uh, blasphemous as well as illegal for a human to attack a, a minotaur or a Kaima, for instance. And so on, vice versa, but like between the three points of the triad. It is not for a human to attack a human. And you can also, there are like, basically there are like lifts of the limitations if you are acting in the defense of another member of that race. So you can, if you're a human, you can attack a Kaima if you are defending another Kaima. And for that reason, as like a way of sort of like working around that restriction... Uh, institutions that might need to act in violence, such as, like, the army or the, or the guard, operate in groups of three. There's a human, there's a Minotaur, and there's a Kaima. And then, depending on who they're dealing with, like, that decides who takes point. So I was like, okay, if there are going to be six players, then they have to be um, two two humans, two minosaurs, and two Kaima, right? And that's just... Uh, The Kaima, by the way, are renamed Loxodons from the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. That's literally all they are. Uh, I didn't want to use Loxodon because, like, that's pretty heavily tied. I mean, it's a word but it just means elephant. Like, using it in a fantasy context like this is, like, I believe, a a pretty Wizards of the Coast and specifically Magic the Gathering thing. But I think I looked it up and I think it, it literally just is Latin for elephant. Um... So I was like, okay, if this is a controlled set of characters, that's great, because it means that I only have to make uh, six character sheets per session. And then I have this concept where there would be a f- resultant from each uh, session, there would be two sessions. Um, and basically, there would be a good end and a bad end to each session. And which one you got in... So for instance... Uh, people would play session one, and depending on the outcome of that session, I would pick one of the scenarios for session two, and then each of those would have another one resulting from that. So I was only going to run three scenarios, but I had to make seven.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
0: Which is uh, and and so conscious of fifty fucking character sheets, I wanted to try and reuse as much content as possible. So um, I only had to make uh, s- one, two, three, uh, five. I-, I-, I believe that I only had to make five sets of, of character sheets. So that's only 30 character sheets this time. Um, because I would have, like, uh, obviously, like, 2A and 2B were different... Oh, no, it wasn't even that. Like, 2A and 2B were actually the same set of character sheets. And then the four that could be for uh, session three, they had two sets of character sheets shared between them. So there'd be, like, two sessions that would share a set of character sheets. So it was um, 6666, it was 24, 24 character sheets. So not even that bad compared to, to... It's half, literally less than half. It is that wasn't the problem. Yeah, that wasn't that. That was that was not the issue. Especially since the uh, the characters in session one were level one, which meant that they hadn't even most of them specialized into like subclasses. That was fine. That was not the source of the problem. Uh, The source of the problem came later. But let's talk about session one first. Session one is called the arrival. And it's about a group of six members of the Cerecter City Guard who are called into a subterranean medical facility where uh, doctors are treating, really giving palliative care to a very heavily charred humanoid entity that fell from space.
1: Yeah, okay, very creepy.
0: Mm-hmm. And then the idea is that once, once they get down there, they watch the, the thing uh, trick its doctor into leaning forward. It grabs her, it eats her brain, and then it just basically completely regenerates itself. And with the exception of being able to regain its abilities by eating the brains of non-player characters... I mostly played this Illithid as just an Illithid, like that you would find in the Monster Manual. It it was not really that different. I I just wanted to do Dalek. You know? Yeah. Remember when we were all we were all kids in two thousand five, and we were bloody terrified. As
1: we should like have been, a... rightfully so. Yeah. It's li- I still think it's one of the best episodes of Doctor Who. Honestly, it's certainly one of the it best. It was very Dalek reserved. Episodes, yeah
0: absolutely and i was like cool let's do that and let's have all of these these level 1 pregens it's like yeah is level 1 pregens fighting against a like cr7 monster not even that weird like make it so that if they're careless they can't wear it down but beyond that it doesn't really need anything to be changed about how it works so yeah it it um it can eat brains to it basically, take a long rest. But beyond that, it's just it was just an illithid, and the uh, hmm, they killed it. Oh, they they did they they did kill it. I'm pretty sure that they killed it because yeah, uh, because uh, whether whether they killed it or whether it makes it to the surface and is defeated by military force decides what the next session should be. And, yeah, and, and Session 2 was 2A, The Warp. And so Session 1, um, reasonably good and fun to do. Uh, it was it was fun, actually, because I had, like, one long-in-the-tooth player who recognized ahead of time, out of character, that it was... That, that this was what it was, that it was an illithid. But very graciously of him, did not do anything in character to deal with this, because... Because he seemed to know how how this works, you know.
1: He, he did not uh, meta game. What a what what a what a, We love to see
0: it. It's true. We do love to see it because he he seemed to be very much uh, an uh, an OSR type player, mm. and they're always kind of like a crapshoot as to like what specific era of um of like old school stuff they're into as to whether or not they think metagaming is okay.
1: Because
0: mm. if they're ver- if they're like very, very old OSR stuff, like, like basic D&D uh, era, a lot of really early basic D&D, the actual role-playing part of role-playing game, A, did not matter at all, and B, if you leaned on it too much, was going to cause the DM to fuck you. Like... It, it there was a huge amount of what like Gygax did in the early day that was basically just like trying to find ways to rat fuck players. So you you met a or you died, basically. Uh and and I think like the the people who are into stuff like 2e onwards are a little bit like uh, more understanding about stuff like. Please don't metagame the beginning. I'm, I'm trying to yes, I'm, I'm to set set up a fun thing here. Yes,
1: I'm, I'm I'm trying to do a thing. I'm making art here. Please do not metagame.
0: I think like a lot of it does come down to how much trust you have in your DM, and maybe there's an episode in that. Although I f- kind of feel like we've sort of diffused like my feelings in particular about stuff like 3.5 and Pathfinder just into other episodes. Mm. Uh, but yeah, two uh, A was the warp, and this is where the gimmick comes in because there's got to be a fucking gimmick, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm. It's, it's fitting that I'm making a like Dallas because I'm like Russell T Davies. I've always got to do a bigger thing than I did last time. Mm,
1: so, uh, so f- how? So, what monsters did you turn into the Cybermen? Then you know, H- how did? Uh, I mean, that's
0: that's that wasn't the uh, the thing, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah I'm, so I'm, I'm, the I'm... gimmick is. The gimmick was cards. I bought a set of clear uh, dragon shield magic sleeves. And I made a ton of cards that I basically used to... I, this was another reason why making the sheets wasn't too bad, was in a lot of cases where I would want to put a class or race ability on the sheet... So that the player didn't have to refer to the player's handbook all the time, I wasn't doing that because I was putting it on a card instead. So I had all the spell cards, and the spell cards were just spells, right? Mm-hmm. But then I also had these ability cards, and let's see if we can find because uh, uh, obviously, like some of some of these, I've like edited afterwards because they were needed for. Other, uh, they were needed for the third session, right? Because I'm not, I'm not going to write the same card out twice, so that one of them can stay pristine for, like, when I do a podcast about this months later. Um. So, uh, this this involved the warp, which was an interesting concept that I'd explored vaguely. Um. Earlier on I think with you guys, like I think in, in Main Dawn Sumber, I think this was a thing that Ulathar's group did, where they use the 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 dream powers of a stone giant, um, but they turn it into like an abomination called a dreamer, which gets to psychically affect reality via its dream. So it oh, it thinks things and they happen.
2: That so, fucking fight in your main game with the stone <laughs> giant <It's, laughs> is screwed this, me over. Is this oh, the yeah, one? The... Is this the one where, in <laughs> Just order nullified to nullified all of Cell's paladin abilities? This, this is all
0: right. Let's let's go on a brief tangent here because this is vaguely relevant. Around it makes about me so that time, mad. around about that time, I was getting super mad about how the um so many of the interesting things that I wanted to do to you lot as a group were being nullified by the fact that you had no reason to split up spatially, and Zell is like a beacon of saving throw bonuses, to the the point where anything that required a player to fail a saving throw wasn't going to happen, right? Because Zell was as a paladin, just this What's the bonus that she gives now to to anyone within ten feet?
2: Plus five,
0: and, and it's, it's not even uh, ten feet. It's, it's, um, it's, it's
2: thirty feet now.
0: Yeah, it's thirty feet now. So it's a plus five bonus to saving throws,
2: as well as like um, immunity to the charmed and frightened conditions. Like, yeah, uh, as long as I'm and, conscious.
0: And that bonus stacks with any other bonuses to saving throws that those characters may individually have. Oh. So I was like. Zell is preventing me from doing anything fun as, as a DM. So I invented this monster, the Dreamer, the, uh, the, the Illithified ilith, Stone Giant, which has an ability called Disbelieve, where as an action, it just looks at a player. It chooses a, an ability that that player character has derived from their class. I don't think it could pick racial abilities but it chooses, but basically it can choose abilities that aren't just the ability to do an attack action. You know, that sort of thing. You could choose extra attack for the, for the fighter, but it couldn't choose just, like, the ability to attack. And it turns them off. And I, I did actually, I think, give it an internal limit as to how many it could turn off at the same time before it had to start, like, picking ones to release to turn off others. But that was just all it did, As it just looked at Zell and it turned off her, like, saving throw aura because it just decided in its reality that it had projected that she didn't have that. Which is like, that would be annoying to do as like a long-term thing. That would be kind of a dick move to just like have, even have be like a thing that turned up frequently. But I thought for one fight, I want to do this. Mm -hmm. I want to have you guys like, I want to shake it up and have you guys like actually think about what it is that you're doing. And I think I did something vaguely similar, at least in concept, for the final Ulithar fight. But it wasn't turning off abilities. But yeah, uh, Maxi wasn't a fan because <laughs> all of her abilities are gone. All the all the crutches she's leaning oh, well, on are falling out beneath her. Also, it.
2: thank God you didn't take away my divine smite, because then I'm just an idiot with a sword, aren't I? Mm, just like the rest uh, of I, us.
0: Yeah, like like. <laughs> In obviously the dreamer could have taken away your divine smite, but I mainly wanted to take away, like, your auras because everybody in the party was leaning on them. Mm. So, I was like, I, I didn't want to take away the stuff that let you be cool on an individualist level, I just wanted to take away, like, the way that you were propping up the entire party. You know what,
2: <laughs> right, look, Alex, I completely forgive you, especially seeing as, like, uh, recent developments have essentially made Zell uh, the messiah. So... I
0: think we'll call Zell a messiah. Uh, I think the messiah is a bit presumptuous, but she's definitely the a messianic figure to a specific uh, set of people, maybe a yeah. couple of sets of people. Um, so yeah, uh, that's what the warp was. Was that basically the the four um, the four illithids who were out in the jungle who had crash landed? the The storyline I came up with. Uh, I guess in my head, behind the scenes, was that these Illithids, um, were from the original crop. They were from Illith's lot rather than Ulithar's. Because then. (laughs) It's weird because like, this is like a, a, a backstory that spans two campaigns. Um, but that they. They crash land in the jungle because the astral plane is connected to the material plane. So they, they fall out of space. One of them falls out of their like, little escape capsule and lands in Sarekpa. The rest of them have a stone giant head, basically, attached to their weird machinery that they use to heavily... like. They can't properly warp reality, but they can create that uh, they can do weird, fucked-up things to nearby people. They they can warp reality, but the, they don't do that in real time. They do that, like, as a spreading sickness, basically. But they can also, as we find later on, like, transport people into, like, a dream world, basically. They get to do, like, loads of, like, fucky psychic things, which is how I like um, Illithids to be. Uh, so 2A the warp is... Th- three to six junior priests uh, have to find out why the temple water is making people sick, including flesh-warping effects. They descend into the caverns below the temple to discover that the spirit of the world, Sansa, uh, who has been prevented from properly tending to the local area, and her powers are being overridden by psychic abilities as the population mutate. Over the course of the scenario, the spellcaster's spells and abilities are replaced by illithid abilities. Uh, Sansa is, um... How to put this... You know, in the Elder Scrolls, uh, Mankar Cameron's theory is that the is that Nern is a plane of oblivion, the same as any other, and that its uh, oblivion lord, its its Daedra lord, was Lorcan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sansa is kind of like that for the material plane. She is she's the nature spirit that underlies druid abilities, but also if if the material plane is a divine domain. She is the god of it. And she comes in many different uh, presentations depending on exactly how you want to interact with her and what, uh, what, what specific field you need Sansa's assistance with. So uh, what I would have is um, this card for each of their abilities. So let's pick this one, for instance, because I think I've found the uh, the, the alternate card. Uh, Wild Shape, the Druid ability, right? You're all familiar with Wild Shape. You've all played a Druid or, like, looked at the PHB briefly. It's twice per long rest. You can turn into an animal that you've seen before for a certain number of hours, depending on how powerful a Druid you are. And if you fall unconscious, drop to zero hit points, die, or uh, use a bonus action, you can revert. Uh, and then... At some point, when a uh, when the the their flesh is warped, because I would have like these flesh warping effects that they needed to save against happened throughout the course of them, like going down into the caves beneath the temple to find the temple water. Um, anybody who failed a save, I would say to them, pick one of your cards and turn it over, Ooh. and on the other side <laughs> of. Uh, on the other side of wild shape is mutable flesh illithid mutation twice per long rest you can use an action to assume the form of a beast as in wild shape an aberration a monstrosity or an ooze the restrictions for each are the same as for wild shape whenever you get when you gain this ability you regain the ability to use mutable flesh twice before needing to take a long rest regardless of how many times you used your wild shape so it's basically it's uh i didn't want it to be they turned it over and then they couldn't use their cool new ability because they'd already used the ability that it was derived from. That makes sense, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Mm.
0: Uh, let me see. Uh, what's, what's, what's another one that we, that we might have? Uh, I'll see if I can figure out like which ability it might have gone to. Because there are a huge load of them here because obviously I had to do one for each ability every class had. Uh, I think that one might be the Minotaur one Because um, I did these for racial abilities as well So obviously there was like uh, the Kaima ones and the Minotaur ones Because they, they have special like racial abilities um, Oh, uh, let me see if I can find the, the monk card that goes to this one Because this is an interesting one Uh, Because, obviously, uh, these would have been in the sleeves at the time, so that, like, if you turned it over, uh, it would change from the class or race ability into the illithid ability. Um, Stills of mind, key, evasion, defense. Um, Yeah, okay. Uh, So, martial arts is a monk ability. When you're unarmed or wielding only monk weapons, and you aren't wearing armor or wielding a shield, you can use Dex instead of Strength for attack and damage roll modifiers. You can roll your martial arts damage die in place of the normal damage. And when you use the attack action on your turn, you can make one unarmed strike as a bonus action. Flips over into Violet Robes Arts. The Violet Robes being the Mensa-like group that Illith, the creator of the Ilithids, uh, made them in. You know, made out of the made the Ilithids out of. That's it. While you're unarmed or wielding only monk weapons and you aren't wearing armor or wielding a shield, you can use dex, int, or whiz for attack and damage roll modifiers, and you can roll your martial arts die instead of the damage. Your martial arts die is one size larger than it would otherwise be, so a d4 becomes a d6, a d6, a d8, and so on. And when you make the attack action on your turn, you can make one arm, unarmed strike as a bonus action. A lot of the illithid mutations were just straight up better than the um ability that they replaced, largely because... At the end of that session, and I think, Maxie, was this the session you were in? It was. At the end of that session, uh, the when they found the Wellspring, because the, here's the thing, is that all six of these classes were religious-focused. I think there was, there was a cleric, a druid, a paladin, a ranger, a monk, and a divine soul sorcerer. And at the end, when they get to the Wellspring, they would have to try and purify the Wellspring to remove the illithid taint, uh, as opposed to corrupting the wellspring by like completely taking it over with with like the, with the Tain. and that was a collective role. And I said that if you had been completely mutated, if you turned over all your cards, you immediately failed that role. That you you were you were actually like psychically forbidden from attempting to make that role, so that the group would have to make that group skill check with one fewer person. You got an automatic failure, so it was it was a sort of during the the session you get to. Uh, in fact, I think it was that also that like your bonus was reduced by however many cards you'd turned over or something mm-hmm. like that. So it was like the more mutated you got, the harder it was for you to purify the spring at the end. And if you were completely mutated, you straight up couldn't. So it was like you get to play with the cool mutations during the game. But then at the end, it's not just that evil is stronger, it's that you're getting locked out of another ability that you need. And that... Here's the thing. That was fun as fuck. That was... It went off perfectly it was really cool and fun the players loved doing Maxie you remember this right I think like every time I was like make a warp check or whatever the players were like yeah and then they, they'd like make the saving throw and see if they made it and if they didn't I'd be like well pick one of your cards to turn over and they'd turn over a card and be like cool I get this like new gnarly thing and I think also I would describe like the flavor of how that happened um like, I wish I could find... Uh, the, the Kaima has a, has an ability that pertains to just having a trunk. And I think I put, like, the flavor such that the um, the illithid mutation pertaining to that gives you, like, three more trunks or something like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it, it, was, it was dead gnarly. Oh, here's another one. Uh, the Paladin's Divine Smite ability. So, you know, you know Divine Smite. You can expend spell slots when you hit things to turn them into... Uh, like um, Radiant Damage, uh, depending on how big the spell slot It depends how much additional Radiant Damage you get, and you can also increase it if the target's an undead or a fiend. Turn it over, and it becomes Psychic Hemorrhage. When you hit a creature with a melee weapon attack, you can expend one Paladin spell slot to deal Psychic Damage to the target in addition to the weapon's damage. The extra damage is 3d8 for a first-level spell slot, which is notably 1d8 higher than a uh, uh, Divine Smite. Plus 1d8 for each spell level higher than first to a maximum of 68, uh, which is, again, one higher than Divine Smite. The damage increases by 1d8 if the target is a humanoid or beast. So instead of undead or fiends, now you're fighting against, like, humanoids, people and animals, basically. This feature cannot be used if the target is an aberration, so basically because the illithids are gaining more control over you, they won't let you hurt them. They, you, you can't psychic hemorrhage them. So that was real fun. I loved that aspect of it. But I was also... I was ready to not do that for part three. So we scaled it back a bit. Um, the They did manage to sanctify the wellspring in the cave, right? They did do that. Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: it did come down was... to like a clutch roll with that one. Because like I have a- two, two players... Yeah. Two players had turned over all of their cards, so they were definitely on board with the whole, like, yeah, no, let's corrupt the wellspring. I
0: think I think it was actually that one player had been completely mutated, and one of them... Because here's the thing, right? Not all classes, at not all, not all class race combinations have the same number of cards. So mm-hmm. it would be possible for, like... I think, for instance, the sorcerer only had, like, three cards or something. Whereas... Like, there were, there were, like, the paladin had something like 10, which means that it would be possible for some players to still have a chance of making that role with a much higher penalty than, say, I think it was the sorcerer who was fully corrupted, uh, would ever have been able to do. So I think, I think there was one totally corrupted player and one very heavily corrupted player. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, it was a pretty clutch role. But they did do it, and they managed to neuter the warp's power in the city. And that takes us to the route. Uh, Open link. Um, So a group of would-be adventurers carrying with them the Light of Sansa must venture into the jungle to route the source of the reality-warping disturbance. I think that sounds right. Yeah, I think I, th- I think that's right. So this was uh, uh the other thing that I wanted to do between sessions was um if I could reuse a map, I would reuse the map. So a lot of the planned scenarios uh I think there's basically just three maps. There's um no, four. There'll be four maps. There's uh the 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 subterranean medical facility. The city in general, which would have been the alternative to um, the the 2A, 2, 2B was um, the, the populace in Sarakpur are getting mutated and they have to try and heal them. Um, there's underneath the temple and there's out in the jungle, right? Which were generally speaking the four uh, maps. So I was like, cool, I'm not doing more than that i'm not making more work for myself i will reuse those and so there are some scenarios that like change them up i believe that there's there's the one that's like if everything's gone really really bad um is also in the jungle because it's you're basically carrying a bomb to destroy the illithids uh, ship to stop the spread of the mutations infection because seracpa is like done it is gone um but there's also one where I think like they have to tra- travel down into the um, area beneath the temple to destroy the wellspring, which will save the populace, but mean that Siracpur is no longer habitable. But no, this one was the best. It was the route. It was um, these adventurers have the light of Sansa, um, and they must travel into the jungle to route the source of the reality walking disturbance. This was an interesting mechanic as well because what I did was instead of having every single card be a uh, flip over to be a a voice of Sansa ability or an illithid mutation, I was like, cool, we're not going to do that. Instead, each player has all of their abilities on cards which don't turn over and one additional ability that is different depending on whether they are in the real world where they get a voice of Sansa Uh, ability or they're inside the dream projected by the warp in which case they get an aspect of the warp ability so this was like a sort of dual world gameplay thing where every so often i would be like the warp is here and nothing makes sense and it's all like non-euclidean Escher geometry and and you're fighting psychic monsters in a dreamscape as opposed to walking through the jungle where you fight like jungle monsters and um, rakshasa the uh, the Tiger Demons, which are a going concern in Jinama. So here is... Let me see. Okay, this, this one's for the Sorcerer, because it mentions metamagic. In the real world, you get Electrified Soul, which is a Voice of Sansa ability. Your Twin Soul metamagic ability costs one sorcery point less, to a minimum of zero, for each spell that would deal only thunder or lightning damage. So I think this was a Storm Soul Sorcerer, and it's basically it's the Twin Soul metamagic allows you to spend sorcery points to copy a spell that you cast. And Electrified Soul was basically as long as you are in the real world jungle, that metamagic ability is free if you use it for a spell that would only deal thunder or lightning damage which was not that hard to do for a Storm Soul Sorcerer. A lot of the spells that had been picked for that sorcerer dealt thunder or lightning damage, so it was a pretty great ability to have. Then, when you go to the warp, it turns over to unlimited power (laughs) aspect of the warp. The damage dealt by your Heart of the Storm ability is equal to your sorcerer level. Additionally, you may target a creature within 30 feet of you with that ability, as long as it is the only creature you target. If you do, that creature must make a wisdom saving throw or be stunned until your next turn. The DC for this save equals your sorcerer level plus the level of the spell you cast that activated the ability. Uh, one thing that you can immediately see is that because uh, this was just one additional bonus that they got, I didn't need to have the two abilities actually have anything to do with each other. And in fact, it was better if they didn't, because then it's like you you get you get to like play a dramatically different way depending on whether you're in the um, in the warp or in the real world, right? Rather than have it's basically the same ability but with different flavor on it and maybe, like, the numbers are slightly different. So Heart of the Storm is a storm sorcerer ability that says you have resistance to lightning and thunder damage. In addition, whenever you start casting a spell of first level or higher that deals lightning or thunder damage, stormy magic erupts from you. This eruption causes creatures of your choice that you can see within 10 feet of you to take lightning or thunder damage, choose each time this ability activates, equal to half your sorcerer level. So um, the unlimited power, which I now realize was not just I needed a name. It, it's 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 literally a Star Wars reference <laughs> <laughs> because uh, what you're doing is... Um, uh, normally the the damage that it deals is half your sorcerer level. Unlimited power boosts it to your sorcerer level, which at this point was quite high, I think. I don't quite remember how... I don't have the sheets. I don't know how high. I think they were like level 10 or 12, something like that. So it was quite a decent chunk of uh, of change damage-wise. And so, yeah, it it doubles the damage, and you can also stun a uh, a creature within 30 feet uh, of you provided... Oh, additionally, you may target a creature within 30 feet of you with that ability as long as it is the only creature you target. Um, So yeah, it says creatures of your choice that you can see on the original uh, uh, spells, uh, ability rather. So that's increased from 10 feet to 30 feet, but only if you only choose one creature. Otherwise, you're limited to 10 feet. But if you do, you can also stun that creature if they fail a, a saving throw and the DC is uh, increased by your Sorcerer level plus the level of the spell you cast that activated the ability. So th- I think I think the reason I did that was because... You, you'd think it would just use the Sorcerer's spell save DC, but I think I deliberately wanted it to be a, a low AC... Uh, low, low DC, rather, um, because... It was an ability that they were basically getting for free. Heart of the Storm triggers quite a lot when you're a Storm Sorcerer, especially if you have, have like a lot of lightning and thunder damage spells. And I didn't want them using it to just one-shot the final boss, <laughs> which is always a concern that you should have when you're designing encounters uh, in D&D. It's like, will this allow them to one-shot the final boss? There's so much in D&D where like, somebody does something clever and you're like how how do I let the player do this, but only do it once?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like hmm. It's like,
0: this is cool, and I want to let the player do it, because they were clever for thinking it up this time, but I don't want there to be precedent set to allow that to happen. So, like, what, what excuse can I think of that they could only do this once? Um, so, yeah, I, I deliberately gave that a low DC so that, like, the, the increased range was the major benefit but uh, and the increased damage. But it could also be that if they rolled really bad, you could straight up stun them, which was fun. That was, was cool. So each, each of the, uh, I think it was five players this time, or maybe even four, but each of them had one of these. Whereas like, this is just a cool bonus that you get. Now here's another one. Let's look at this one. Who's this for? Oh, this is for the Barbarian. Uh, So the voice of Sansa in the jungle says, when your rage ends, if you were in a frenzy, you can make a con save as long as you are within 30 feet of a plant, running water, a fire, or if you are in direct sunlight. So these are all aspects of Sansa, aspects of, of, of Sansa's love or whatever. The DC for this save is 10 plus the number of times you used your frenzy extra attack during that rage. On a success, you do not gain a level of exhaustion. So the more you frenzied... Uh, The more you use your Frenzy Extra attack, the higher the roll you've got to make. But basically, Sansa will save you from uh, exhaustion. And then in the warp, dream together. Being knocked unconscious pauses your rage instead of ending it until you become conscious again. Additionally, not having attacked or taken damage since your last attack doesn't cause your rage to end if an ally within 30 feet did attack or take damage during that time. So I think the flavor of this one is that you are becoming, like, psychically connected to your comrades. So, like, you don't pause your rage when you're knocked unconscious because you can see through their eyes and, like, you share their rage so you don't end your rage if you didn't attack as long as they attacked. That kind of thing. Mm and obviously because because they're just like a fun bonus i i could make them a lot more specific than the uh, abilities that were flipped over the third session was way simpler like the second one was real hard but uh, the third one was was just nice um it did go on too long and they didn't quite finish it so there was no boss fight at the end they just briefly met the the three illithids and convinced them to leave i think and I tell you what, it was great that that was the third session, because I have no idea. If I had to choose whether that was a good end or a bad end, I'd have no no earthly clue.
2: <laughs> well, that was lucky then.
0: Yeah. Presumably that means that in canon, those three illithids are still out there somewhere. Although... We'll
2: meet them in future Somber or die trying. I mean, you,
0: you, you really won't. I would imagine that they've <laughs> probably been exterminated by the Gith. Um, largely because, like...
2: They weren't very good at their job.
0: Well, no, but also because, remember, these are, like, original Illith stock. Um, you'll find this out at the beginning of Future Sombra, but, like, the the Illithids are basically dying because they have... You know in Vampire the Masquerade how, vam- like, modern vampires are very weak because vampirism gets diluted the further away from Cain it gets?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's basically that. It's the every time the illithids promote an illithid to being an elder brain and have it make tadpoles and convert people, the illithids that they make are, like, more watered down and weaker. So the illithids that you're going to meet at the start of, of the Future summer campaign are a shadow of their former selves, and they're looking for, like, the purest, earliest illithids. So, I don't know, maybe these three mind flayers would be actually in high demand because they were, like, their Generation Zero, basically. Hmm. Well, I say Generation 0, probably Generation 1, because I don't think they were original um, Violet Robes, but they would have been, like, very early on. So, yeah, maybe they're still around, and maybe I could use them as as, as villains. I don't know. Because they 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 escape. So, um... The... Uh, this was what I, I designed, like, late on for what this was going to be, then when I knew that that was how it was all going to work out. Um... It was okay. I had fun. Like, this concept worked out about as well as I could have hoped. Um, I definitely hadn't been prepared for the amount of work it was going to be, and that's part of the reason why I want to stop doing this sort of thing for QCon. Because it takes so much preparation, and it's so hard on my health to, like, get it all done in time. Uh, I just want to... I'm getting older, you know? I'm not getting any younger. I just want to chill out a bit. I want to run, like, other cool stuff, but... Definitely this was cool, right? Like, uh, I for a long while, I was like, how do I top um, Arcade Blanchard's time travel adventure when I did five fucking games <laughs> with 50 character sheets to do basically the same session every time. Like, I, I, this is the thing. I always fall into this trap. I'm like, I have this idea, and then I'm like, oh, but that idea would need these extravagant, like things conditions to make it work so i should ease back on this thing for instance so for like for the 50 fucking character sheets game it was basically the same session five times right that was the mitigating factor that i thought would solve everything and it fucking didn't and just just here as well i was like oh i have to write seven sessions but i only have to run three of them so they don't have to be in depth and then there was this whole thing with the cards, which they looked great. People loved them. I don't regret doing it, but I'm not doing anything like this again. It was just, it was too much. Mm. That said, I do have a full deck of, uh, of crystal clear dragon shields to put a magic deck in now. Or to do other so- that stuff like this on a smaller scale later on. Um, I do actually like the idea of being able to, like, pass out abilities on cards just because I think handing a small stack of cards to a player is easier than, like, trying to hand a PHB around or, like, having weird printouts of, like, the PDFs of the player's handbook or stuff like that. I do like... I do like also... um I think what I'll do is, on the video version of this podcast, I'll try and see about getting, like, scans or photographs of some of the cards up so that you can see. But each card has, like, the symbol from the uh, press kit, the, the, the wizard's press kit, for that class, or uh, or a symbol for the race, uh, if it's a racial ability, like, in the background, um... And they all have, like, a different colored frame, depending on whether they're, like, a racial ability or a class ability and what class they are an ability of. Uh, Or whether they're a feat. There are a couple of feats in here. Um, I actually have the lucky feat, because I... They were all variant humans, because I thought if you had to pick a human, then that would suck. Because I used um, stat spread. I didn't roll for the stats, because I thought if players if players have to choose one of my pregens and the last, the the sixth player doesn't get a choice, I don't want people to have just like not picked the character with shit stats. So I used the stat spread in the PHP. So that meant all of the humans were variant humans. So they all got one feat. Uh, so lucky, lucky feat. Um, you know, three luck. You can look up the lucky feat yourselves. Turns into Illith's fortune. You have three luck, uh, You may use this luck as per the lucky feat to roll an additional d20 to choose an attack roll, saving throw, or ability check you make. But you may spend luck points after the DM tells you if the roll succeeds, as opposed to the lucky feat where you must do it before. You may spend a luck point to re-roll a saving throw a creature made against your spell save DC and choose either result. And you may spend a luck point to change all the results on a spell's damage dice to their maximum. So it increases the utility that you have for your luck points, that one, because it was from session two. Uh, also, the uh, the illithid uh, mutations and the aspects of Sansa have a special um, border on the cards so that they're easily identifiable. The, um, the voice of Sansa stuff has sort of like a stained glass uh, type flower thing going on. And the illithid things have like these weird tentacle things on their frames. They look cool. I like them a lot. I- I'm glad that I did it. This was neat to do, but I wasn't anticipating the amount of work that it was. So that that was that was me at QCon, and now uh, now is the part of the podcast where I stop talking, and instead we listen to one of these two. Hmm. Uh, would which of you would like to go first? Gosh! All right. Which of you is going to go first? <laughs> I'll I'll
1: do it. I'll do it. Um. <laughs> I. I won't talk much about Critter Castle 2 Electric Boogaloo because, um, you know, I was mostly an observer in those games. I was, I was, it was all very last minute for me as I thought that I wasn't gonna go. I'd missed the deadline, um, because I was trying to get tickets for Radio 1's big weekend and I ended up not getting tickets for that because Ticketmaster is one of the true great evils of the Western world. Um,
0: radio One's big weekend for those playing along at home is a music festival Beth did not just want tickets to go and sit in a radio studio for a weekend that's <laughs> not
1: yeah it was it was taking place uh very close to my hometown <laughs> v- very close um it's it's
0: as British music festivals go it's pretty mid-tier it's no like um Glastonbury or whatever but it's not it's not like, some random local event that nobody's ever heard of. People know about Radio One's big
1: deal. Yeah, thing. and it, it's like the reason why it's kind of a big deal is um they, they it's somewhere different every year. Um so it's mm-hmm. it's been um oh, you I mean you you'll know you'll know where it is if if you Google online. It was in it was in Middlesbrough this year, which is very close to where I live.
0: Uh I, I would Actually you know what? Um given that it's not related to the podcast at all and we need to get on, and people can look up Radio 1's Big Weekend themselves, and if they are nearby to where it's going on, maybe go see. Uh, but it's not our purview to explain what no, it is no, to, our, no. to our audience. But,
1: you know, I, I, I wanted to go to that, and then I ended up not getting tickets, and, and then I'd also miss the deadline to pay for Crit um, Castle, so I was like, well, fuck, I guess that's not happening. Fuck me, I guess. I'll just have a miserable summer. Um <laughs> And then um, Stephanie, the woman who organises it, sort of, I think probably a month before, said, "Um, are you still interested in coming? And I was like, I thought I'd missed the deadline. come!" So everything was sort of like last minute. So I hadn't done really anything that I'd I'd wanted to do for it. Um, And there were a few spaces for games open. So I basically just hopped into whatever game was available.
2: Including mine.
1: Yeah. Well, yours, I'd hopped into it on the day because someone had um, bowed out because they weren't feeling very well. So mm-hmm. I was expecting to just basically play through one game. That that was fine for me. I was like, that, that that's cool. Uh, but it, it was very fun. Um, and that was that was a very what well, I, th- I think is the very traditional experience. It was it was pre gens. We had character sheets. We're all talking around, and that was like you know it was it was a good time. A big thanks to Ryan for for doing that. That was it was a very enjoyable experience because I know that wasn't Ryan's intention. Ryan was DMing filling in for uh, another friend of ours yeah
2: because it was originally ben's game and he couldn't then go Mm. so he sent ryan like the basis of what he wanted to do in the game and ryan just completely took over the dming for (laughs) it which is like i don't even know how you can do that for like someone else's like uh session notes and everything for a world that's just not your own or, or not like um, official content. Mm, it, it was. It was. It was really interesting. But regardless, a
1: good time was had by all. Uh, lifelong friendships were forged on that table. Many jokes were had. I. Uh, I found out that I am the type of player who panics and does stupid things in certain situations, like starts a random fight with someone. um and it it was it was it started off very dark and edgy and then it turned into like the power of family and friendship look and...
2: it it didn't last for dark and edgy and that, that was, what was hilarious it... literally ten minutes into the game when we were like getting explained the concept of you are this orc warlords elite personal um like assassin slash uh, like fighting force of like these four people strong and we basically decided that we were like his eclectic group of adopted children that he had like <laughs> trained to be like these um, elite bodyguards but also like had their own weird um, motif that was kind of stylized on the four horsemen of the apocalypse yeah it was and I, I played an absolutely insane person You
1: were. Uh, <laughs> I have no like that character just like A. Lives on in my nightmares, B. Lives on in my (laughs) dreams is the greatest like like simultaneously not only a completely terrifying like being that like but also like kind of more in a way like I don't
2: I I, I enjoyed what basically turned into legitimate fear from the other players (laughs) of just like they were like Okay, <laughs> this is the sort of character you wanna be, <laughs> fine. <laughs> and there was a one point where we capture a god and tie him up for information, and literally the means of getting information out of that guard became Luke. If you don't give us what we wanna know. We turn you over to them. And they just point at my character who's just kind of reclining on the wall with this incredibly wide smile. I think as well, uh, we were
1: trying to get your character set up as well. Um... In a in a in a relationship, it was it was very no funny. no
2: you weren't. What you were trying to do was like, can this character just be like crossed over? And uh, I I try and matchmaker them yeah. into something else because I want this person to like have. Happiness, and I'm like, believe me, the vagrant's happy. The vagrant's happy. <laughs> the vagrant is very happy. Yeah, and it was also my
1: first time playing a dwarf, which is really interesting. And I would, I would, pl- I would play a short character again. Um, I um, for those of you at home who don't know and haven't heard of this running gag, um, I refuse to play characters under five foot seven, maybe, um, because I have a complex about it, mm. and that. And that's just
2: how it is. I don't know, I don't know if we've talked about it before, but I still like vividly remember you actually rolling the stats for your future somber character, and uh, you rolled for the height, yeah, and he was. He was really short. He was about as tall as Hiei eh, from Yu Yu Hakusho. Yeah, You said, t- and I was like, oh, that, that, that'll be cute. Like, I'll be the tall one. You'll be the short one. And then like a month later, you sent me a message out of nowhere going like, "Maxi, I can't do it. I can't be short. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I have to be the tall one. And I'm like, it's okay, man. <laughs> I wasn't, I didn't care. <laughs> if you want to be tall, you be tall. Yeah. Um. So
1: yeah, I, I have a, I had a good time at Crick Castle, and I, I jumped in on Maxi's game as well. But I'll let Maxi talk more about those two sessions. Um. And then I was like, you know what? For the next one, what I really want to do is I would like to DM. I like DMing. I'm very comfortable DMing. Um. Very often in oh wait, I was in Honey Heist as well. That was a lot of fun as well. That was crazy. Um. <laughs> big shout out to emmy um and her crazy we killed emmy yeah we love emmy um and yeah that that was a lot of fun as well but i don't really think most of what happened in that session could be repeated on a family podcast um
0: this isn't a family podcast piss off <laughs> i've marked us as 18 plus on anchor and on all of the services that we're like we swear like a minute into every podcast it's not a family podcast if you're a, a, a child listening to this um that's go not okay away.
1: that's not that's yeah, not if, okay we're gonna tell your parents
0: if, if you're a non-adult teenager then in terms of like actual lasting damage to your personality it's probably fine but also we'll probably still get in trouble so don't, so don't. <laughs> you know <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, right. it's like, I mean, I guess use no, your own no, judgment. No, like, like, still, Beth. Do not repeat it. <laughs> even, even though we've got that assurance, it's like I guess it crosses. I think even crosses, actual adults are gonna be traumatized. Yeah,
1: I think it crosses several lines of bestiality, and um, uh, I, I
0: okay,
1: don't. Okay, no, we're not, we're not
0: doing that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think
1: we'll talk about it. It's, it's, it's sort of. And again, those sessions are um, amazing and and they're wonderful, and I was very sad that I I couldn't do it this year. But hopefully, in the next one this summer, I'll be able to return to to honey the honey heist verse. But yeah. it's um
0: for for those playing <sighs> along at home, honey heist is a very wholesome one page RPG where you are all bears who are trying to steal honey from somewhere and I don't know what the fuck these two and their degenerate friends did to it that caused it to become unrepeatable on what is ostensibly a family podcast but not really
1: it's not my fault it's not my fault I didn't suck any dicks
2: okay that's not on me I mean, I don't even know, like, how this happened. I don't even know, like, whose idea this was.
0: I think we I... found the uh, the cold open for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: anywhere, anyway. So yeah, Honey House Street really Fun. I ho- I hope to play it in the summer. It would be really nice. Anyway, so I'm getting my shit together for. February and stuff like that. And honestly, I kind of um I kind of rushed it all a little bit, but I I did have it done a good few days beforehand. Um so, you know, you know, you write everything down. I kind of had all these ideas, and I drew up some props and stuff like that with some like information on the back of them. I don't know if Ma- I remember giving them all out at the end of the session because everyone wanted to keep them basically. I don't know if Maxi still has the ones that Maxi got uh, or the one that was given to Maxi.
2: I, I kept the cute owl bear that you drew.
1: yeah well there that, that was some the, some other props. Um, but one of these included an actual pineapple
0: um, because'm I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the pineapple because I knew ahead of time because you were talking about like the logistics of the pineapple mm-hmm. of like how I think were you, were you doing this in uh, the Franklin game so that Maxi wouldn't hear
1: possibly or it might have been um it might have been private chat between the two of us
0: no because i remember you were definitely saying it in like verbally we were we were talking on discord Um, i'm also wondering if maybe it was like uh, a lot of the time we go well into the night on our uh, monday games or whatever and maxi is a productive human being with a job and as such needs to get up you know, early in the morning and cannot stay 6 a.m. And, yeah, cannot stay and talk as late as everybody else. So it might have been that Maxie had gone to bed. and uh... But I remember you telling me about the pineapple and like we, we were trying to figure out, I think this was Franklin Chat, actually. We were it was, so like, because remember...
1: those... I remember were Richard on Nile being involved in it. Probably Nile. Yeah. Um... Uh,
0: and yeah, I, I remember us because we were all collectively trying to figure out we all collectively agreed that the pineapple was the funniest fruit that you could use in that situation. Mm. But also that I think, like, mangoes and bananas were good picks as well. But also, like, what... Because you would have had to get it from the local village as close to the game time as possible because pineapples just go the fuck off. Yeah. Um, so how, how did that work out, Right, by okay, the way? so, like, know. you know,
1: I was working this out. And I was talking to my mum about it in the car we were driving back from something. And I was like... I need to talk to you about something. <laughs> and it's Dungeons and Dragons it. related. And she was I mean, like... And probably good. And she was like, okay. And I was like, I need to get a pineapple. And I'm wondering <laughs> how long a pineapple is going to last me. Um, and also where would be the best place to get a pineapple. And mum was like, hmm, I don't know... And I was like, I think Morrison sells them year-round. And Mum was like, I think you're right. And she was throwing out a couple of ideas as well. There was, like, other, like, maybe props that I could have used in place of a pineapple. And I was telling her my idea about this session is that, like, essentially, all of the players wake up um, with hangovers. um,
2: In Elf Las Vegas. In Elf
1: Las Vegas. Um, And... um, They cannot remember the night before, but they are various items in their hotel room. So one of them has like a key. One of them has like a high roller card. Um, One of them had a a ring. One of them was wearing like a leather jacket and nothing else. Um, One of them was sort of cuddling up to a tame owl there. And one of them had a pineapple. Um, I think was that everything? I think so. I think so. There were se- seven players, wasn't there? Um, and each of them had a prop.
2: Beth, I'm going to be real with you. I got drunk that you night. You got very drunk
1: that night. You did get, very, did
2: drunk get that night. very drunk I did not get very drunk that night. So
1: there were six players. I, um, seven, I got reasonably drunk. Seven including me. Um-
0: <laughs> what I immediately enjoy about even this juncture in, in you telling this story is how already transparently evident it is that it was not necessary for you to physically procure these items to give to the players at all. No,
1: it wasn't.
0: But that you did not need to do that I didn't and the need amount to of like time that we and as as mentioned your mother spent thinking about how you would procure the pineapple. It yeah. was utter nonsense. But I but I love it. That's actually like it was it was that sounds like a really nice like DM bit to to do, is like have let the players have feelies yeah. to uh, to work with
1: Um, and most of these things I couldn't actually physically I think I managed to actually I used one of my own costume jewellery rings um, for the ring a ring is a relatively easy thing to acquire the key wasn't mm-hmm. there was an old key that I wanted to find but I, I couldn't find it so I ended up drawing it and the same with the card um, and the leather jacket as well um, and understandably, I could not find a real owlbear. There were things that I did want to do, but I was on a budget and I was like, I can just draw these things. Um, you know, I think perhaps if I'd had time, perhaps I would have gotten maybe like a tiny four Dolls leather jacket or something and maybe found like a real old key um, and been able to make like a fake, like plastic credit card. Um, but... uh the owlbear was always going to be an issue. So I was like, it's fine to like draw one of these things and then draw the rest of them. Um, I mean, I think
0: like part of the problem with owlbears is I'm fairly certain they're Wizards of the Coast product identity, which means that in terms of like large-scale production where you have to contend with IP lawyers and stuff, only Wizards of the Coast-sanctioned companies can make them mm. if they were going to make like a cuddly owlbear, which means that to get one... It's basically Etsy or nothing and that runs up pretty pricey pretty quickly.
1: Exactly. Like I was very like I was like, in theory I could buy a teddy and I could buy a stuffed owl and just Frankenstein them together, but that's gonna take a time and skill I do not have. Um, you know so <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm now thinking of a Frankenstein together owl teddy bear. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that was kind of off the table. Like it's fine to draw these and then draw most of the others because that's that's okay. But you know that they were like physical things and pretty much they were like item cards as well. You know, you would flip it over and it would have a description of the item. Um, you know, kind of describing various things. I wish I kind of had kept most of them, but I don't think I did. Um. But, you know, there was stuff like, um, this is a ring, um, it's of an ornate design, it appears to be an engagement ring worth of about this much gold. Um, it smells funny. Um, and then, like, there was stuff underneath in red that was perhaps some questions you would be asking yourself, so, like, this isn't your ring, is it? (laughs) Like, you know, um... It was everything. And then on the back of the owlbear it had like the Owlbear's abilities and stuff like that and like a personality that she had. Um her name was Cupcake. Um I loved her. <laughs> um and then I decided to physically procure a real pineapple. Um There were some logistics about the pineapple because it's a pineapple. Um <laughs> and I had to I had to take it all the way down from, you know, the northeast all the way down to Wales uh, on public transport. So I have this pineapple um, and I'm like, what do I do with this pineapple? Because I'm acutely aware that the more I'm going to handle it, actually the more chance it has of actually like breaking and stuff like that. So I freaking just, you know, so I mm-hmm. end up taking my dad's massive travel bag um this was very difficult to use on public transport but it did actually manage to have room for like my pillow and stuff. Um so it was pretty useful and it had a separate compartment for the pineapple so should the worst happen and <laughs> the pineapple smash
0: I love I love that what you mean is there was a separate compartment which I used for the pineapple not that your dad's travel bag has a special has a compartment pineapple. just for pineapples.
1: Well, you know, it was very strangely shaped. But yeah, like I used it for the pineapple. Um, because should the worst happen and it gets smashed or squashed or stepped on, um, as annoying as that would be and I would have no pineapple for the session, I also wouldn't have pineapple all over my pillow. So that was good. Because um, I don't know if anybody's ever been to a youth hostel association, youth hostel. Their beds fucking suck for bigger people. They are the fucking worst. I don't know how comfy
2: you find them, Maxie, but I do not enjoy them. Um, they weren't especially comfy, but as I said, I got frequently drunk yeah, and it I, didn't I, matter. I, yeah. my, I could my... have slept upright. In fact, I'm pretty sure at one point I did for like a power nap. <laughs> yeah,
1: so I, I brought my own pillow and it, it helped a little bit, maybe. Um... <laughs> Anyway, so I do this session and I'm rolling randomly for the placement of everyone in this room. Because I put out a little map and I was like, this is where all the players are going to be. I was kind of dreading, what if someone doesn't show up for the session? What if someone says that they're not feeling well and they don't want to do it? Um, It could potentially throw that session off and stuff like that. So there were some items that were kind of throwaways, like the card um unlike the ring that maybe didn't need to be involved so much um and I could kind of just circumvent around that but basically these items were there to lead you on kind of like a little um what's the term
0: wild, wild goose, goose chase no uh, scavenger hunt
1: scavenger hunt of perhaps the preceding events that had happened the night before so they find out that one of them and i love that it was this character it was it was beth's character and their character was um an, an elderly um bard who um was like really old and like had hit the jackpot of a lifetime and was like incredibly wealthy and rich now um and i, I like that it was the old lady um <laughs> i i i that um and you know, so you would find out that like one of you had hit the jackpot and that's why you were in like the high roller suite. you were in like the you know, most expensive, nicest one in this casino. Um, your key was the explanation about where all your items had went um, because very early on you are aggressed by the police question mark about some things that had went on the night before and a theft that had happened. Um, because the empirical finest diamond had went missing from the museum, um, and then we were all like, "Did we take that?" <laughs> um, and one of the theories that I really liked that emerged was that the pineapple had been polymorphed into the diamond. The diamond had been polymorphed <laughs> I think into the that was
2: pineapple. Like, was that one of
1: my theories? I think it was. I think it was. But this, you, you all, you all came up with this theory after they'd all ate the pineapple. Um, in character which I thought was really funny um, <laughs> as I will get into God. later on that was not the case and then they had this like leather jacket um, and it got recognised I think fairly early on by a very helpful member of staff of the casino as being Valentine's jacket who was a character <laughs> from my main
2: campaign <laughs> and like the entire time by the way as a player in one of do Beth- uh, of Beth main campaign's I am the only one there who is, like, having what could only be described as a fangirling fit (laughs) over the fact that, like, there is just all of these references going on. And literally, Valandir... My character's boyfriend, in like what in like our main main game, is just inexplicably there in Hell, Las Vegas, <laughs> and then I was like, actually, that makes complete sense. Yeah, um, it makes complete sense why he's here.
1: And there was a lot of contention about whether Valandair and the character who had, had the um leather jacket—I cannot remember the character's name—I feel really bad. One second, um i will refer to my notes da, 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 da. was it Mariner, the, yeah, a human bard I think, yeah, who uh, had woken up with the, the jacket on and was like did I? D- did we sleep together? Valdir was like, heavens no, when they finally found him um, he was
2: like, yeah I'm gay
1: I'm gay <laughs> and Mariner's and like, I have a who- husband yeah, <laughs>
2: and a daughter. Yeah, <laughs> I was just like, "Oh, future Valandia."
1: <laughs> um, and it, it was a really good time. I really enjoyed the experience. All the players were like picking up on these little like clues, uh, and then I did have to do a little bit of like, because I'll be honest, when I said didn't super figure out how it was going to end, I knew they were going to fight an ancient white dragon at the end, but I didn't know how I was going to get them to do that. Um, and uh, they did though. They did it. Like, Mm, (laughs) yeah, it was great. Um, I think before then as well, when they were trying to figure out what had happened to the diamond, the at the most convenient or inconvenient possible moment. Um, cupcake shits all over the place, and reveals that she ate the diamond. That's where it had been the whole time. In cupcake, like tummy. that
2: literally still means that we did steal the diamond. Which <laughs> anything doesn't mean you stole a diamond. It's true. <laughs> so we were like right to suspect ourselves, but also we are now irresponsible people for allowing this owl bear to have eaten the diamond. Um. Yeah. I. I guess. Um. <laughs> I mean, the old bear's, like previous situation was not super great in terms of being abused at a circus, and we had liberated her. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But also, yeah. we did feed her a diamond. Yeah, while drunk.
1: I, 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 I do enjoy that. And then I don't know if you ended up returning the diamond or keeping the diamond for you. I don't know if Falando ended up keeping the diamond for himself. I actually super can't
2: remember what happened or what happened to the diamond. It doesn't really matter. I mean, uh, I feel as though that's up to you. Whenever we get finished with the um, the main tour <laughs> game, of like, well, let's skip forward about twenty years when like Valandia shows up and goes, "Honey, we're rich." Honey, we're rich.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it was just a really good time, and it was a lot of fun. And um, yeah, and then you know, Maxi ended up getting the pineapple through random rolls. And all through it, Maxie's character was like, "Do you know what this is?" Um, and the answer. I also always, ended
2: up getting a girlfriend.
1: <laughs> the answer, which what is a, hilarious. What a what a pi- like everyone was like. That's a pineapple. It's a tropical fruit. Um, that was that was a pretty common running gag through the game. Um, and I think in the end, the pineapple like that you never really found out where it came from. I think I said that maybe maybe it had been the the, the ancient white dragons. I kind of threw you a bone there, like a little narrative bone. But that's still almost as ridiculous as the pineapple not having a purpose anywhere. Um, just one big joke. The pineapple never had a point. I don't know if the pineapple got ate in the end, but um, yeah. You said earlier it did. Well, in game you ate it. Um, oh,
2: out of game. Out of game. Um, I have
1: no clue what happened to it.
2: I, I I feel as though the staff or, um, of Saint Bravels is gonna like find the pineapple somewhere.
1: <laughs> I know I'd like, left it in the well. top room in in the in the dining room, and then it had been moved to the kitchen um, <laughs> at some point, And I was like, I'm not taking a pineapple home. That was annoying to take care, so <laughs> I'm not gonna take it home. So I don't know what happened to that pineapple. I don't know if somebody decided to take it home or chop it up. Earlier in the day or whatever, but yeah, it was just very much there. <laughs> I don't know. I what hope happened.
0: so. I, ho- I, ho- I hope the the pineapple found uh, a good home in the bellies of people who like pineapple.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was great. And then I think when we were doing the banquet the next day, um, <laughs> I can't remember when it got referenced, but someone said a pineapple is a tropical fruit, and like all like seven of us burst out laughing. And everyone else was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> um, yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was a g- good moment because uh, it's it's those sorts of long lasting. Seven people in on a joke that the rest of the fifty of us just did like what? Yeah, um, I think it was it was it was good as well. Just because like I would get questioned when I was like carrying the pineapple around. What's the pineapple for? Why do you have a pineapple? A pineapple? What's that for? And I'm like it's t- tropical fruit, innit? it. It's for D anD D, and they were like, "Okay,"
0: which explains nothing. Yeah, like that's that's useless as an explanation. <laughs> yeah, they know that that a pineapple is a tropical fruit, and they have no earthly idea what one has to do with D anD D. That's great. I love that.
1: Yeah, and yeah, it was it was just a good time, and it it still sort of things that like I think it really like the pineapple incident really um, demonstrates the ability to. Uh, have little in jokes and stuff like that um that that is what d is it's just it's just in joking until you die like i um yeah no i had, had a is. good time and i would dm for all those people again i may even run more than one game uh next time perhaps
2: yeah. i think i want in on um uh, Phoebe's next Call of Cthulhu oh, game because abso- that looked rad. Absolutely.
1: she'll probably end up having to run multiple of those. I would imagine. Like, I, I would imagine she's probably going to end up having to run. It was a years.
2: very, very popular game. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> it's it's one of those like legendary sessions now. Like both Honey Heist and Call of Cthulhu are now like um like Crater Castle like musts. I th- I think as well your game the. The,
2: yeah, the... I've actually heard like some people say that like um the Jester one shots under hills and unicorns is like now um has to be trademarked with the Critter Castle things <laughs> like they can't be a Critter Castle without someone running that game. Uh, <laughs> it, it is good, which does neatly bring us on to. Uh, mm-hmm. You're game Maxie. I'm not even yeah. sure if there's like a lot to say about um what I did at critter castle in that regard I think it's like a really easy and self um, um it explains itself pretty well I
1: I think it's a really interesting one because it it the, the concept essentially especially for the first one was that you could c- come in as cosplayer or in character and play a character so the first one you had Maxie in um Pretty much full gesture gear like blue paint and everything. Like mm-hmm. I like full full gesture gear. And I great. Um
2: I felt great.
1: Yeah, and like very, very good and brilliant gesture impression as well. Uh for those of you who do not listen to Critical Role, are not interested in Critical Role. We are very sorry, this portion, uh the segment of the podcast will alienate viewers. Um
0: I mean if if I'm um uh, like already sticking up images of my cards on the video version, I guess I'm just probably gonna stick up like an image of Jester because they have like official art now for a critical role, so just stick that up and be like, This is the character. Hmm. Um possibly uh Maxi as well, because then there are photographs of your cosplay, aren't there? But uh yeah, there are negotiate photographs that, that later on. Mm.
1: But I think most people around the table was, I, I think it was, what, well, it was the first one on Friday night, wasn't it? So everyone wasn't super. Super Trump. prepared for it. Like um, everyone was tired from traveling still, so it was this. If you want to get
2: yeah, which is like why I made sure that the next um, the, the the session that we just had um, in February was like on the Saturday evening instead. So like, okay, it's not immediately after everyone gets there. So like, no one is going to be as wiped out. And maybe I'll have some people who will join me in the cosplay aspect of this. Yeah, which uh, f- yeah yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, they did. So do. I, I'll, um, I'll like um go over the explanation of like what I what I did basically. Mm-hmm. So um there is um a bunch of one shots that Critical Role runs um around their main campaigns, and one of them was a one shot where Travis Willingham um it was called the Grog one shot. Where he ran, um, I think it was Bunions and Flagons. Where he DM'd as his character Grog, and um, like did this like cobbled together um, game, um, and it was like it was really good, and I was very much inspired by it. And I was like, what if I did a game where I dressed up as Jester, I acted as Jester, and I ran. Jester's made-up childhood game under hills and unicorns for um, members of um, either people she had just grabbed off the street for um, the purposes of anyone who didn't want to act in character because they didn't want to alienate any people who weren't comfortable with like either cosplaying or uh, acting in a partic- uh, as like an NPC or a PC from the, uh, the main Critical Role games. So they were just like someone I dragged off um, and roped into my game. Or, um, as I said, NPCs and PCs from both campaigns of Critical Role. And I'll be honest, I am still hoping for someone to do Vecna. <laughs> or the Briarwoods. I would really, really be down for like someone to just be like... to the villains of critical role one have sat down with this teeny little blue tiefling to play her childhood game of underhills and unicorns i'm like i'd be so into that but anyway um for the first game i had quite a few people who like were just 99 players and like one person who was also another jester that i like passed off as Jester also wants to be a player too, so she has invoked duplicity. So whatever happens, Jester wins in this game. <laughs> She's a DM or a player, and um, in the in the next game, the one that just happened, everyone was um, members of Vox Machina using the character sheets um, that are available on D and D Beyond um, of the Mighty Nine players. So, um, you had, uh, Percival, um, uh, and he was playing Caduceus, like, using, like, Caduceus' stats and character sheets, but, like, playing Caduceus as himself and, like, trying to, trying to do the impression and, like, being a bit disparaging about, um, Caduceus', like, intelligence being so low. And, um, uh, the entire time I'm just, like, um, talking about how, um, as Jester, I'm just like going like, "Oh, these guys are all my best friends, and I really want you to play them." <laughs> and it was just like, um, it was it was some really good energy, and uh, I didn't give out a pineapple, but I gave out cupcakes. That's true, you did. <laughs> and um Jester's one shots are primarily designed to get as um very saccharinely cute and wild as fuck as possible. So it's just like. What is everything that Jester loves? And obviously it's like pastries and unicorns. So I'm like building one shots around uh, not just that, but also like shout out references to things in the show and stuff like that. At one point, um, because there was a bit in the Critical Role show where like um, the Mighty Nine were having a conversation about like who had the best penis and, um, well, Hold essentially...
0: On. Hang on. We have... Mm, mm. What?
2: Yeah, there was, like, a, literally a, a conversation in which, like, they were specifically asking Jester who she for, like, had the best pe, Who had the best penis she'd ever seen. And um, Jester went... Molly's was pretty nice. It was a nice colour and shape and everything. So I literally then decided in the very first uh, Just a One-Shot that I ever did was that there was a um, a tree that you hugged to, like, stop it from crying, from being alone, and it would grow purple penis-shaped fruits <laughs> that if consumed would give you hit points back. And, uh, and like... <laughs> Um one of the one of the players was like um uh was pretending to be Bo and was just like jester. <laughs> I was like, "Yes. <laughs> like jester seriously? I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> just the entire time like uh, it, it's just a lot of fun and um the whole goal of these games was to just get everyone to laugh like that that was it i just wanted everyone to have like a really good time and like have lots of um jokes peppered throughout it um i think one of the players in this game uh that just happened was literally writing down all of the weird funny shit i was saying <laughs> it's like um quotes that she could bring out at like any point but yeah it was is... like it was a lot of fun
0: this is like the 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 people who go to Crystall Castle are to an extent a reasonably tight knit group, which means that you can do callbacks like that and actually have them land, right? Mm. Which is not to say, by the way, that I don't do shit like that. Um, a lot of there are a number of characters actually who have become quite beloved by like campaign players. Who start, uh, I started in, in like uh, QCon things like um, Clarence. You'll love Clarence, right? Love
1: Clarence. Uh, yeah. Clarence is the, great. Uh,
0: the the very ill mannered Cockney Cambian who is um, Cl- Clarence like comes from uh, the uh, the the Arcade Blanchard um, QCon thing. His name was a pun, and then I, I brought him back because I enjoyed being him so much. Because he's so bad-tempered <laughs> all the time. this is as a battery
2: pack for a lich.
0: Yeah, that I was like, so well, what, what's been what's been happening to Clarence after he's like basically being hunted down by every demon lord? And it's like, hey, uh, he's he's uh, he's fallen in with the wrong crowd, and he's being used to power the crystal maze. <laughs> basically um and yeah it's like i'm trying to think if there are any other i might i might do something with those illithids but i guess like clarence would be the the main one but also like generally speaking maxi at least is in my games so i i like will have those characters turn up uh, at at some point and and do something and then it'll be it'll be a callback for maxi if nobody else but it really seems like at, at critic castle you could have the same people multiple times and be able to like have callbacks to jokes like that mm. and that sounds really cute and fun
2: yeah there's um people have uh, said to me people who were in my second session um that um they're already talking to me about like the next time I run Underhills and Unicorns and all the ideas that they already have. One of the ideas was that we were thinking that for your next game of Underhills and Unicorns, Maxie, um, us two would cosplay as the gentleman and the ruby of the sea so that Jester literally runs a DND game for her parents.
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. that be cute. Yeah.
0: That's real cute and fun. I, I really like the the playing the character you're cosplaying idea because a lot of the time i've never cosplayed right i've thought about it a couple of times there have been a couple of like things that i wanted to cosplay but i have like a weird relationship at the moment with costume and my own identity and stuff um so i've sort of held off on it additionally it's very expensive it is
2: yeah it is
0: um so I really like the idea of like going to an event like this and being able to do more with your cosplay rather than just standing around and having photographs taken of you. Which presumably you also did some of, but like being able to actually cosplay uh instead of just like wearing a costume. Kind of sounds like that's that's a fun thing for uh for, for you to put on for these people.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that the second one I was pretty comfortable to just because I think in the first one I played the traveler who was playing a paladin of the traveler Um yeah <laughs> and I, I think I I um in the second
2: really know anyone it was also the yeah. first night and I, I knew that you were being a lot quieter than you would ordinarily be yeah and then
1: I decided next year oh, I'm just gonna be the traveler again that that, that was fine And then I think I'm going to check my messages because I want to see when um,
2: Mike messaged me. (laughs) Yeah, by the way, I had no idea that, like, I was the last person to know as the DM that you guys had decided that, like, hey, we're going to, like, just be Vox Machina um, players and using, like, the the Mighty Nine stats as our player characters.
0: Oh wait, sorry. So that wasn't a thing you planned. That was a thing that the players no, decided they, 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 they like, were going to do.
2: They they fucking sprung that on me. Like uh, I had already like thought that they had like this. Like one of the players was a repeat player from last time who had been Caduceus, and she already had like a character who was a druid called Aloe, who literally only needed just like one level up. And then like um, I think she was and en- she ended up being Lady Vexalia. And, um, uh, and played as, uh, mm. Bo. So, like, like the the first time
1: there were some people who were like, we had like a Gilmore who was playing like a V-V-V-Vax.
2: Yeah, XB. A, I, I fucking loved that. And then there was a, and then
1: there was a, a, a Vex also playing a Vax XB, and they were like, hang on a fucking minute. Um, and there was Bo who was playing, I think Bo was playing herself, cause Bo. That's a very bold thing to do. You know, we're all like playing, like, you know, disparate characters and stuff like that. It was very fun. But then this time, Mike, I think a few days beforehand, is like, hey, so I've got an idea. <laughs> and I was like, mm, I don't know. That sounds like I'd be really nervous. I don't know. I don't know Campaign 1 that well. And then I was kind of like, you know what, though? I know Grog quite well because I watched a lot of like his highlights and stuff like that. So maybe I would be Grog. Maybe I would be Grog. Um,. So that would be Grog fun playing fun Ford. Maxi has again. no idea this is going on. So meanwhile, you've got Josh as like, I'm going to dress up as Percy and I'm going to play Caduceus, which was incredibly funny, actually. Um, and it was incredibly funny as well being Grog playing Ford because those two characters are so different from each other, um, you know. And then you've got Mike, who's Scanlan, who's playing not And so it, it it was all very fun, funny, and it was it was good. Um. But you didn't know, I think, until about the couple of days before it happened. I think I told you on the drive.
2: I I think I no I I found out like um, I think I think I found out like literally um on the day. Like I I remember that you suggested on the the drive that like yeah uh, this um. Someone was talking about this idea, but I don't think anything will happen of it. Mm. And then literally, like everyone turns around and says, "Like, okay, we're going to be Vox Machina." Yeah, Vox
1: Machina played the Mighty
2: Nine, and you were like, "Oh, okay." (laughs) So, like, then I had to also spin that, like, as Jester, in terms of like, why would Vox Machina have? Mighty Nine character sheets and have to try and act like the Mighty Nine without like any context towards them. And then I thought, obviously, Jester wants her friends to be involved in this and decided that, like, hey, um, we were pirates once and never, like, um, we stopped being pirates and I kind of, like, want to go and imagine the sort of adventures that we would have had. So can you all random people um, who I've just met who are proficient adventurers, please play as my friends <laughs> in this simulated pirate game?
1: Yeah, it was it was good crack. Um, I... It was a good time. I was very much jammed between the radiator and Josh, and I was not very comfortable for most of that session physically. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, it was really warm and hot, and uh, I I was very squished in, which is why I kept like moving and like standing up and stuff. <laughs> um, and I think in the end I ended up just like crouching on the chair, um, in order to be comfy. But it, it you know, that that's not on anyone's fault.
2: Um. I think you also saw the fact that like um I I think I stood up a lot and revealed myself as a DM who stands. Yeah, I was like when you first did it, I was like oh,
1: she's a DM Maxi that stands. stands.
2: <laughs> and I'm like it's the best position for me. I like hate sitting behind the screen. Oh my god. I was I was just like oh, she's a DM that stands.
0: And- oh, we haven't played together physically, have we Beth? No. I, I I am also a DM that stands. I'm not a DM that stands all the time, which is what Maxi sounds like, but I am a DM who stands and then like comes around the table to 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 look at like you and, and what you're doing.
1: <gasps> what? <laughs>
2: I'm very much a DM that sits. Um I I'm a sitter. Um Yeah. Unfortunately, I couldn't stand for, like, my main campaign on Sunday. We both just had to sit on my bed. Yes. um. (laughs) And very (laughs) cozy it was, too. So I run a game on on Sundays regularly. Uh, I do alternating um, Sundays with Matt. And um, this was, like, the first time I've ever had a player of that game in my own home having to, like, watch me DM and stuff. Mm. And also there are just certain things that we just can't keep away from one another. And uh, what was really really funny was when you asked me um, when we were driving down together for the Critter Castle, like, "Are you still going to run a game on Sunday?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm planning to." And you were like, "You absolute madwoman!" <laughs> I How? mean, I
1: certainly. But uh, this is this is going to date this episode, so let's talk about Storm Kira. Um We were all in Wales. Um, at the like at the time. We were all travelling up and we had all thought that su- Saturday was going to be the worst day, which was okay because we'd mostly be, be indoors and the rest of the people doing photography would have been in Clarewell Cave, so it was fine. Um, and then as it turned out, Sunday was the worst uh, time. And I wanted to travel back a bit later on on Sunday because I wanted to spend more time with Maxie whom is my friend and I love her very much. Um, and all of the trains ended up getting cancelled, and I ended up having an impromptu sleepover at Maxi's and then travelling back on the Monday. I was like, I'm not going to run a game. I'm too tired. F- fuck public transportation. I I I do not have the spoons to run a game and uh, arrive home. So yeah,
0: the uh, for those worried about uh, about Beth, the fun thing about that was that the specific train station that was giving her grief over the storm is right next to me which means that if she'd made it that far before getting her train canceled she would also have been accounted for <laughs> like I would have nagged my folks to uh, to to take her in really? for, oh, for night. I didn't
1: know I didn't know that but I, I I I was like if I get on the train I'm gonna be stranded in Manchester um <laughs> And honestly, the, the idea of having a sleepover at Maxi sounded incredibly fun, actually. <laughs> anyway, I was kind of like, okay, it sucks that I don't get to go home at night, but also I get to have a sleepover, which is something that I have never, ever done. Even as like a little girl, I never had a sleepover at my friend's house. Um,
2: it probably like wasn't the sleepover of your dreams because like no. I was like you you have my room I have to be up at 6 in the morning for work yeah. so I'm going to crash out on my sofa and I
1: was like what no this isn't how it's supposed to be we're supposed to stay up late watching spooky movies and talking about our crushes this isn't what like, it's supposed Beth, to
2: be like Beth I'm a working woman I know. who like has to be up at 6 <laughs> in the morning I was like but 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 but. Also, my... like
0: you, you literally just came from an event that is essentially a group of grown adults living the dream of having a mass sleepover.
1: You know what? Yeah, actually, that that dorm that was so fun. I think it was the Saturday night we all just stayed up talking about like um, my game and like the the relationship drama in it and stuff like that. I I I adore hanging out with nerds, and I'm going to do it more in the future. <laughs>
0: Maxie? yes. Do you do you want to talk about QCon? Do you have any concept of what you did?
2: I have my notes still, and um, I would I will talk about it um much more briefly than I have talked about QCon in previous years.
0: It's it's fair, uh, like it's it's been a while. Uh, I just. I'd, I'd sort of, to be honest uh, listeners I'd sort of given up on doing a, uh, a, a an episode for this QCon, but when I heard that that Beth had got some like convention style actual play uh DMing experience in at Critter Castle I thought well we can fold that into an episode together and I think this has been very fun but if you want to talk about um what you did at uh, at qcon Maxi, and then maybe we'll uh, we'll close it out
2: so I finally got to run a game uh, set in the third world of my tri-world setting. And the third world is the sci-fantasy um, setting, which I was really, really excited about because it requires a lot more homebrewing on my behalf to, um, to like fit um, sci- sci-fi and uh, new mechanics and stuff like that. Um, implementing blasters and um, it has a very strong um, Knights of the Old Republic feel I've been told
0: which is honestly good because like I think if you're going to turn D&D 5e into like a sci-fi space opera type thing then giving it a like a science fantasy Star Wars feel is probably better than because we, we, I'm conscious that we we talked all of last episode about forcing 5e to be things that it isn't and how I personally don't like that and Beth's not that fond of it. But I do think if you're going to do sci-fi d Star Wars, uh, particularly KOTOR as, as like a sort of aesthetic base, definitely makes a lot of sense for like how that would be managed, right? Because mm-hmm. it is sci-fi, but it's also kind of sword and sorcery fantasy.
2: Yeah, because obviously, like, I still wanted the implementation of um of magic and um and sword fighting and stuff like that, and um exploration of different parts of this system, which I just thought was like really really cool. And um, I d- I ran two games as usual, uh, and both of them like also followed on from each other. Um. So the first game was called The Blessed and the Blasphemous, which was like a reference to the Fast and the Furious. Because I it was literally like, it's gonna be fucking Tron and you're gonna have to race. <laughs> which is like the most fun uh I, I had like had in a while at that time. And of like, uh I had to um come up with uh, vehicle mechanics and stuff. And I think I was very, very lucky that um, Descent of uh, Avernus was, like, around about that time. Uh, So, like, uh, Descent into Avernus, like, has a very Mad Max feel and, like, has vehicles and stuff. So I was, like, um, um, when I was, like, implementing and creating vehicles... Um, I wanted them to, like, have, uh, different abilities, like, some were faster than others, but, like, um, uh, like, really weak, so I had, like, a lower constitution, others were tough, others, like, were literally the shit that you could get from wacky races with, like, all these weird little tricks to it. It became very, um, Mario Kart pretty quickly, actually, (laughs) And it was, like, it was so much fun. And the premise of it was that, like, um... Uh, it took place, um... On, um... Kaizenf, uh, in the city of Notama. Um... Where a... Where, like, battle races was a big thing. These, like, Tron-styled battle, ra- battle races were, like, huge there. Very popular. And, um... For the grand prize, uh, a shard, uh, the shard of uh, Quom was like being offered up, which was like a shard of dark matter. And um, someone had uh, infiltrated the race under false pretenses, um, and those someone was the cult of Zotmarva, uh, who are like, if, if you're fans of uh, New Phyrexia, <laughs> And the Phyrexians in general—they are bad news. They are like biomechanical horrors um, who worship a mad robot goddess, and um, she she does want to like generally convert organic life into um, weird combinations of flesh and. Um, so the, the cult of Zotmarva, um, they were going to like use this um, shard of dark matter to like um, power um, potentially an army's worth of their machinery and equipment, which is like really, really bad because like, they had tried to take over at one point like uh, 3,000 years ago and failed and um, were pushed to the Outer Rim and, um, but they are still out there, and, um, there is like, thankfully, there is like a, a protection, and, um, from the, the Gobolak Zone, which is like mainly, um, a collection of lands in which hobgoblins are just like the main army there. And, like, really, really hate um, Zotmarva and everything that she does. And will happily, like, fight um, for the rest of their lives. Um, Her cultists and her machines and everything like that. But um, somehow these cultists have gotten into the race to try and, like, win this shard. And um, uh, that's where the players come in. Because they are... They're not good guys. But they're not bad guys either. They are part of uh, a mafia known as the Phaeton family, and they're like the lower members in it. But like, um, they they should be able to handle it. That they're, they're, they're kids. They're like um, in their like twenties or something, and they're eager to um, to impress the higher ups of their um, affiliated gang. And um, they've been entered into this race, so they got like it was really cool. They got to choose their driver options and, uh, like, introduced some characters and, like, um, they were given uh, a description as to what their forte was in terms of driving and, like, uh, they got to customise the vehicle. Uh, I think at one point they attached a uh, a, a miniature machine gun to it and um, uh, then they, like, raced off and it wasn't just the the cult of zatmarva who were like disguised as well uh, they'd like had a complete illusion over themselves um, but it was also like other races with their other like own themed cars and stuff and it was the then the players own paranoias of just uh which one do you think are the cultists <laughs> and they just decided that like the richest, um, most asshole guy there was probably it. But I think it was more to do with the fact that he was a rich asshole who was just trying to lord it over them and they just didn't like him. So they wanted to, in particular destroy his purple Corvette-styled battle wagon. And, um, well, um, they they, had it, they ended up having these cool, like, rooftop fights on top of their cars because um, I didn't want to... I do not want to run a game where one of them had to be delegated as the driver. Like, even though like one of them um, seemed really up for the idea, like they were deciding before I introduced the concept of like you you get your own driver, you get like a professional driver, and you will be on top of the car and like um, knocking off opponents from like the other tops of their cars. And you'll be strapped in and stuff like that. And uh, but one of them was just like, um, "Well, can I be co-driver?" And I'm <laughs> like, I'm <laughs> like, the driving part is probably like the worst mechanic here. Like, you want to be able to use all of your abilities and stuff. And
0: <laughs> I guess that person was- probably like didn't have a, a huge frame of reference for exactly how much you'd fleshed out the vehicle mechanics. It could be that like the driving part was just as fun as anything else, but it had like a completely different flavor to it. But that seems to be, that's not what you did.
2: Mm. And um, I like used, um, I used a bunch of different stuff um, for like, uh, I, I, I use like completely different classes and um, homebrewed materials and subclasses and stuff. I used two of my own, which was the Void Touch Sorcerer and the, uh, the College of Rock Bard, which were, like, they are specifically for the Aetheroon setting. I, like, I really enjoy them. And, um, obviously, like, the the College of Rock Bard does, like, a lot with thunder damage as well.
0: Nice. It really
2: sells it with thunder damage. Um, I also used, um, a homebrewed class, which is, um, I want to shout out to, um, uh, Stephen Vorpal, Uh, who you'll probably like put a link to the Twitter of uh, in the description, who made the Prism class, which is like this warrior of uh, light who um, uh, uses light-based attacks by manipulating it. And it was like um, some really cool uh, abilities there. I specifically used the Halo facet of the Prism class. And
0: um, I used... I can definitely drop a link to that if closer to the time during editing you you let me know where his uh, Twitter is and we can send some people his way.
2: Yeah. I, I've had a lot of fun with the Prism class. It's really, really good. Um, I also used a, a rogue class called the um, Jumper um, which is like kind of based off um, a Tracer from Overwatch and came from uh, Mage Press Matter, um, M- uh, Mage Hand Presses dot Matters book, which uh, they kick-started, and it's really good. Cool, uh,
0: we might drop a link to that as well
2: then. And um, well, basically, with the third, very first game, they had a lot of fun. They did like loop de loops. They like nearly got shot out of the uh, off the racetrack. They definitely crashed a Mad Max styled dwarven woman's vehicle and blew it up, which is metal as fuck to be honest but they uh and then they like um duked it out with the the revealed cult of Zot, uh zotmarva's um car and they they won the shard uh they had the shard delivered to their contact within the federon family who was like thank you very much i'll make sure that this goes to the right people uh and um when they were like celebrating that victory, just like walking away and stuff like that. They are approached by a mysterious woman um, who, uh, unfortunately, like, the, the session was coming to a close, but I was, like, still um, trying to get this out to them that, like, this woman comes to you and she's flanked by, like, these two larger people wearing, like, this kind of space marine um, body armor. And uh, she says that, like, basically that they raced really, really well. And um, she represents people who would be very, very interested in the, in acquiring those skills. And um, one of the players said, went, say no more, we're in. And I went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so what had happened was that um, this was supposed to be a kidnapping <laughs> In which that woman and her Space Marines were part of the Syngarsis Order, who are basically slavers. And uh they specifically um capture people who are like who have skills and um uh like brainwash them and uh, maximize that skill set and like sell them off to the highest bidder sort of thing. They're like really, really bad, terrible people. And um, uh, just like it ended with this like one player just going, so no more, we're all in. <laughs> and I'm like, you idiots have just sold yourselves into slavery, but they don't know. Like, No one knows what the Syngarsis Order looks like. They are like very clandestine and hidden because slavery is illegal. Anyway, so that actually brings us on to the second session with, um... It's back with the Phaeton family but this time you are higher leveled PCs. You are in fact like, just outside of the inner circle of the Phaeton family. And guess what? Those kids who got kidnapped in the first game were your kids. They are <laughs> the mem- the lower members of the Phaetoron family who you were mentoring. Uh, And like, um... Obviously, to reflect that, I used basically the same subclasses um, for these new characters but at a higher level because like uh, they were like specifically mentoring the um, the younger generation in their skill set. and um, but that's this also meant that um, this higher ranked level of the Faderon family got access to like um, their own starship and um like all these cool weaponry and stuff like that and the best thing that I implemented in this just because I really enjoyed playing this character was Mizran. So Mizran was a AI that um they all like wore an earpiece um uh, that allowed them to talk to Mizran. And Mizran like appeared to them like once um uh basically the uh the earpiece linked in properly and could, like, manifest, uh, physically as, like, an illusion in front of them, uh, and, like, he appeared to be, um, a human man of, um, like, Bangladeshi descent, um, with what what looked like LEDs, like, under his skin, and, um... He was very polite and, uh, and reserved, and Mizran was actually like an acronym that stood for Magical Interfacing System and Restorative Automated Network, and um, he would like uh, help guide them through because um, the Thedrond family had actually tracked down where uh, the Singhasis Order had taken their kids, and it was to uh, um, a hidden station that everyone thought was derelict, called the Fate Line Station and um with a cloaked starship and their trusty ai mizran um these six very pissed off veterans of the Phaedron family sneak aboard the station to absolutely wreck everything like they even blow up the station after they leave because of just like um I, I was really impressed with, like, these players of just how invested emotionally they, like, seemed to uh, get across with their characters, just being, like, taking this as a personal offence from the the Syngarsis Order to have messed with them, but also to seem as though they genuinely cared about, like, the kids. I was just, like, uh, at one point they capture alive one of the gods of the Syngarsis Order, and, like, um, just begin horrifically torturing him. Actually, <laughs> and um, but the one who was taking the lead on that torture was um, a, a gif monk. Uh, and um, the he was mentoring a half gif monk uh, of the way of the astral self, who I had decided that um, that that is your literal son. Like he is literally your boy, and so. He was very, very into this whole, like, where's my son? <laughs> what have you done with my son? And, um, like, he just tore through the entire station like a, like a hurricane. And um, they fought this robotic lich queen at the center of it, which is a really cool GLaDOS fight. Um, but I was, like, really, really pressed for time with that. So, like, I had to, um, had to nerf her a little bit. Uh, that was actually my fault just because of, um, I got my times mixed up as to when I was supposed to start the session and I was a bit late. But, uh, Ellie was very understanding and, like, told me that they, um, wouldn't start packing away, uh, in the room that I was in until, like, last. So I managed to, like, um, uh, get through the fight and, like, uh, have it be completely resolved. But um. Alice's yeah. great
0: can we just like briefly i i don't i don't know if uh if alyssa's uh listening to this but she's fucking great she was mm. she was really good to me that year in a number of small ways that i really appreciate and um i I've never met anyone who's had a uh, who who knows who she is who's had a had a bad word to say about how she runs um, RPGs at QCon. Uh,
2: yeah, she was like really really understanding and like uh, I I was incredibly apologetic about like my own fuck up with like not realizing that the the time difference was a thing because I thought that I don't know why like uh, maybe the time did change. And I just like wasn't aware of it, but I thought that the uh the afternoon game uh start time would be the same as the previous game uh, previous day's afternoon game start time, which was like half two and uh on the day that I was running, it got pushed back to two o'clock, so um I was like walking through the park quite leisurely. On my way to like set up, thinking I had plenty of time, and then I get a call from Ali saying, "Like, is everything okay? Are you like still running because we've got your players here?" And I was like, "What? Oh no!" <laughs> and then I like ran through the park with my laptop and everything, <laughs> just. To... Park's nice everything though. Always happen. Yeah, it's a really nice park.
0: <laughs> the Botanical Gardens in Belfast are nice. So yeah, uh, that with that, that then.
1: Yeah. Man, oh, no, I think it might much be
0: much it. Yeah. You uh, know well that's that's our um sorry Beth, did you have well, a-
1: yeah, I'm just you know, I think what we've learnt here today is, you know There are lots of things that you can bring to the table when you you know you DM for a group like the convention. You know, you don't have to do what Alex always does, which is almost kill yourself. Um if- you can just have a nice normal time like me with a few zany gags and stuff or you can just do something very creative and performative or you can just have a nice normal you know like you can you know you don't have to you don't have to have a gimmick you can have a gimmick if you want but it doesn't have to be oh i'm gonna work incredibly hard and almost kill myself this sounds like i'm slating you i'm not (laughs) you work very hard
0: I mean, I did say I'm not gonna do that anymore. Oh, yeah. Like, two two brushes was uh, wasn't was enough for me.
1: Mm, mm. Yeah, like I I think the second time, like you know, death in all his hooded glory, he comes into your hotel room and goes, "Look, you you can't keep doing this." Like, it, I... <laughs> it
0: was not it was not anywhere near as bad as fifty fucking character sheets, but it didn't. It didn't amount to the relief that I'd hoped for, I mm-hmm. guess. And I was like, I can't keep doing these, but if I don't do these, I don't want to run fifth edition anymore. I want to do other stuff. And to be honest, I kind of want to do that anyway, mm. which is, which is a great, uh, segue into end of session stuff.
1: Absolutely. Uh, And end
0: of episode stuff where we um, do like ads and things. So I guess the the biggest thing, the biggest piece of housekeeping to bring out right at the front is we're a proper big boy podcast now. Um, We're all grown
1: up. Look, Ma, we made it.
0: We have an RSS feed and everything. And you can find us on iTunes and on Spotify and on Stitcher. And I don't think we're going to get a lot of new fans uh, in through those avenues, at least. At the beginning but there is a number of i've already looked at the stats and there's like um, a non-zero number of people coming in from avenues that seem unlikely to be just people who already know about the podcast checking out the new hotness Mm -hmm. so if you found this podcast via an audio only uh stream we have a youtube channel uh primarily that youtube channel is devoted to the podcast. You know, there's there's uh, episodes of the podcast with a big still image up, basically. I think one of them has like some additional stuff in it. And then there's this one as well, which I'm presumably going to do that in. Um, but more personally, uh, that's also where you could go for the moment to find um, like cut content, little mini mashup uh, episodes. Um, I don't know if I'm going to put those on the RSS feed uh, as bonus episodes. I might do that um but it is also where you will go to find our actual play streams I will put a link to the YouTube channel in the show notes for this episode if I remember but if you check out our Twitter at, at Bardscast that has basically everything that you that you need for everything House of Bards basically uh you you will be able to find it there uh so if there's something that we mentioned that... Isn't in the show notes. Go find it there. Uh, similarly, if you're watching on YouTube and you didn't know, hey, you can get our podcast on iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher and in podcast readers that draw from one of those feeds or from general RSS. All right. So yes, um, <laughs> I think that's I think that's everything. Anything else? Obviously, will be in an update on at Bard's cast uh, I think I mentioned last time that. Oh, you know, I, I mentioned in a, in, a, in a YouTube update uh, we have at Bardscast as a Twitter rather than anything more appropriate on account of how all of the other um, handles that made better sense to pick were taken by accounts that tweeted once in 2011 about football. Yeah. Um, so as soon as as soon as Twitter figures out how to end of life abandoned accounts without desecrating uh, the social media accounts of the dead. Uh, We're probably going to try and hop onto one of those. But for the moment, for the moment, it is at Barscast, and uh, you can go there. uh, You will see our our nice red and yellow logo, and you'll be able to see uh, what exactly we are up to at any given point. That is also where you should go if you don't want to follow the YouTube for updates on the... Uh, actual play streams if you want to watch those thank you all for listening to this uh, actual play update from House of Bards which is probably what the episode is going to end up being called and we will see you all next time which will hopefully be prompt Um, I have no idea what we're going to do another episode about but there are ideas in the tank we'll be able to go have a look we've not done this in a while (laughs) so uh, until next time I've been Alex
1: I've been Beth I was Maxie
0: So, uh, yes, bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. Bye.